In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today there's no place to escape to this is the last on the left (laughs) that's when the cannibalism started what was that everybody's Mm -hmm. got the right to some sunshine wow not the sun but maybe one of its beams rich men poor men black or white everybody take a bite everybody just hold tight to their dreams everybody's got the right to their dreams. Look at that. Well, you, you can take You the- want to kill a president. Whoa! <laughs> you can take <laughs> the boy <laughs> out of Queens, but you can't take the queen out of the boy. <laughs> Come on and kill a president. <laughs> <laughs> That's from Stephen Sondheim's Assassins. Very good. My older brother was in Assassins. He played Abraham Lincoln, and much like Abraham Lincoln, he's gay. <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben looking at Marcus Parks, and of course, we have Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, but I we probably should bring up, I mean, Assassins by Stephen Sondheim, Lee Harvey Oswald's the main character in that, but a new song actually dropped today ooh, ooh. about the JFK assassination and the mysteries, and finally, yes. Bob Dylan, yes. troubadour, has decided to emerge from his bunker yes. and, and spread the truth again with such rhymes as, Jackie... She was feeling wacky. Like, she, it is, it is not good. It is the worst, slowest casket rap I've ever heard about JFK. Well, it's helping us get through this quarantine period. And so thank you, Bob Dylan, for unleashing your mustache onto the world once again. Yes, it's thin. It is as thin as it is talented. Very powerful 17-minute song. On November 1963 was the day of the death of John F. Kennedy. Jackie was in pink. It was a crime that sure did stink. Was it written by Cartman? <laughs> it sounds horrible. He's, he's it's so awful. He's it's so the old. worst thing he's so ever released. <laughs> so we are on, which is saying, <laughs> saying something, of course, old Bob Dylan. This is the thing we all have to remember once we get older. All I'm saying for the rest of my life is, oh my, kind of fun. Wild. <laughs> I am never doing anything new after 50. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess my penis is certainly full of cum today. That'll all be saying at the podcaster's hall. 
Hall of Fame reunion tour. <laughs> It'll be as if we, all of us have lost our feet due to diabetes, oh. and but all of the, the all of the microphones are made of gold. Yeah. Isn't that nice? And we'll have all of our feet in little caskets right in front of us. <laughs> That'll be cool. All right, everyone, we are on to our final episode of JFK. Now, before we get into information that Marcus and and much of Henry's brain have collaborated on, I have a little bit of information for you guys that I don't think you'll know. Oh, exclusive? Is this exclusive information? This is Ben Kissel exclusive information about John (laughs) Really, Fitzgerald Kennedy. Uh, What do you think his favorite ice cream was? Uh, uh, Peanut praline. Yeah, I think he liked Italian pussy. <laughs> no, that's not an ice cream. That's a that's Sophia Loren. Um, no, this is a little known fact, and this proves that JFK was beholden to the Pope because it's the most Catholic favorites of all time. He liked vanilla. Uh-huh. Second favorite kind of ice cream that he liked the most? Anyone? Anyone? Chocolate? Peach. Peach. (laughs) And I think vanilla and peach is the most Catholic choices of all time. And I believe Mm. a good leader... The fav- the best ice cream for a good leader, Napoleon. Oh. You got pink, you got white, you got brown, the melting pot of America. It's strong, it's powerful. That's what all leaders should eat is Napoleon ice cream. Why are you calling ice cream flavors just pink and brown? It sounds like I just, I literally, someone, there's poop on my balls. That's what that makes me think. Well, anyway. Which I don't want to think. I'm just saying, that's a piece of information that maybe you guys, while you were researching how he died, overlooked. Where? What does the peach ice cream have to do with it? Thank but, you for your valuable contribution to this episode. Don't say I didn't do it. <laughs> Thank you for adding two minutes to what might be a three-hour episode <laughs> about the murder of John F. I'm, I'm stretching, stretching. So on our last episode, we outlined the why behind a possible conspiracy to kill John F. Kennedy, at least when it comes to the military-industrial complex. On this last part of the series, we aim to explore the how when it comes to a conspiracy killing. See, as we've said again and again throughout this series, there are over 2,000 books on the JFK assassination. 2,000? Jeez. 2,000. And while some do follow the Warren Commission's findings on how Oswald supposedly killed the president, most of them do not. No. How many books do you actually think we need out of these 2,000. Well, we used... How many did we use, I think we used Marcus, a, with these last... I think we used eight overall. Over, over the entire course of the series, through all of our research assistants, and thank you so much to our research assistants on this. We could not have done as thorough as a job as we've done without our research assistants. So thank you so much for that. It is, however, worth noting that the vast majority of these conspiracy books cite the Warren Commission when it supports their findings but call foul anytime it does not, hmm. which is pretty common amongst conspiracy theorists. What well, this was really, the this was the birth canal of the stripe of conspiracy theory in our country that ta- that has taken us to where we are today. I, I think that the reason why it has so potent was because the Warren Commission really did fuck up a lot of stuff slash omit a lot of pertinent information to the public that allowed these, like, a lot of, investigative reporters which i'm gonna call myself covered my own ball butter in my soft pants while oh. i was reading i was an investigative reporter <laughs> but as i as you read all this content i i almost feel it's they are i 
put the responsibility on the Warren Commission and the fact that because there were such valid concerns about the lack of information that they had and the things that they didn't solve, it kind of get a, it gave a credence to all of these different theories that came out about the whys and the hows of, of uh, you know, are there multiple shooters? Was uh, the was the, the mafia and the, the the both and the CIA all involved in killing him and they kind of are responsible because technically these people have some reason to think these things and of course henry zabrowski's ball butter brought to you by lando craps uh, make sure you check out their ball butter at your local walmart <laughs> it goes good with the slab of anchovies <laughs> Now, almost every single one of these books has their own pet theory as to how the president was killed, because how he was killed supports their theory as to why he was killed and who killed him. Hmm. Method is very important here. But besides just the killing itself, we're going to cover some of the weird shit that happened leading up to November 22nd, as well as the motives of other organizations and people that may have had reason to participate in the killing of the president. You want to kill a president? (laughs) (laughs) Was Nambla involved? I would love to see what Nambla would do to kill a president. And then, finally, at the very end, we will lay out exactly what we think really happened. Or at least what I think happened, as Henry's opinions may have changed now that he spent countless hours in the JFK conspiracy hole. <laughs> I won't let myself out. And Natalie, Natalie is going to leave me, which she would, but the quarantine's kept her in. It's, and now she's forced to know the truth, no matter how many times I've and I've yelled it naked in from various parts of my home. I know Marcus had done the same experience to his lovely wife Mm -hmm. it's not worth it henry it's not (laughs) worth it jfk is never coming back and if you do find the truth you're just gonna be killed (laughs) now as this episode unfolds you might notice the absence of one person lee harvey oswald and the reasons behind this decision are pretty simple Oswald will come up here and there, but the conspiracies involving Lee Harvey Oswald as a patsy, a double agent, one of two or three or four different Oswalds, and Oswald as an unsung hero trying to save the president's life (laughs) are wildly convoluted and overly confusing. You uh. might even say fake, oh. but but I won't go that far because there is some doubt because what they say about Lee Harvey Oswald, if you really just, uh, uh, this is the breakdown of Lee Harvey Oswald was a double or, there, or a possible, there were many Lee Harvey Oswalds, is that there are people that believe that there was no concrete evidence of Lee Harvey Oswald going to the Mexican embassy in order to get a way into Cuba. There are people that do not believe that he did that, that there was somebody that was sent that looked like Harvey Oswald. We might have his name in the roundup of people that were in Dealey Plaza. We might have the name, okay. but that's really what it comes down to is that I was hoping for clones, Ooh. <laughs> um, but they didn't go as far with the clones as I wanted them to. Well, that would have been great. Is it possible Oswald shot Kennedy to try to fix his back? In the same way when you go cross-eyed after you get kicked by a horse, you got to get kicked by a horse again to go back. It might be. Maybe. You know what, Kissel? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Well, these Oswald conspiracies reach way too far and require way too much muddy background information, even more information than we've already given. Ah, uh, yes, muddy background information. That's what I call it after I have 30 Bud Lights and then I wake up in the middle of the night. And you know what I'm talking about. That's the whole thing, man. We got to stop wiping. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I remember that. So while Oswald will pop up, 
we're going to be focusing more on the organizational nature of JFK conspiracy. Now, one of the strange things that occurred in the lead-up to the assassination happened in El Paso, Texas, on September 20th, 1963. On that day, a man named Richard Case Nigel walked into a bank, fired two shots into the wall with a Colt 45, and demanded to be arrested for his actions. I demand to be arrested! <laughs> I will kill another fan if you do not stop me now! Whoa, it's the middle of the summertime. Don't take out the fans! <laughs> When the FBI questioned Nigel's motives, the only reason he would give was that he would rather be arrested and sent to prison than commit murder and treason. Wow. Huh. Now, this might not have warranted attention, but Nigel's supposed connections are interesting. Now, take this as you will, because Nigel gave this information to Jim Garrison, who will be explored further later. But Nigel said that he was a CIA double agent working with the KGB, and he'd gotten wind of the upcoming assassination attempt on JFK. Hold on a second. Yeah. Uh, if you're a double fuck. agent with the CIA <laughs> and KGB, uh -huh. yes. you do not say, I'm a double agent with the KGB and the CIA. Like, it's that is like pressure. rule number one. Think about this. Think about if you're a person that's already bad at keeping a secret. Okay. And then, but then you're not, they're not going to recruit you. That's why they we, didn't recruit us. But how do you know when someone says that? How do you know when someone's bad at keeping a secret? It's that if you ask, are you good at keeping a secret? And they say, yes. They're lying. They ne they never were. They could never keep a secret. And uh, how many times have we lied to get a job? Mm -hmm. Where I sure. I have just I would have said anything to get a job at one point. Where you're just being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love all I do is is work in virology, and I know how to handle this flu. Like I, that's I would do anything to have a job. So yeah, you're gonna lie to these people because they also have guns. And all of a sudden now you're you're working for both sides, and you were never good at it even uh, once. So now it's all falling apart. They gave you a gun, you know. Now you're just like. I got to get myself out of here. It's, I mean, it's like how I would get myself if I was forced to be drafted into the army. I'd shoot off one of my toes. Well, this is really great. Thank you so much for coming, Dr. Fauci, to this White House press hearing. <laughs> I heard that you have a, there's a new doctor on board, a Dr. Henry Thomas Zabrowski. Uh, what we're going to do is, listen to me, American public, I'm going to quell some of the panic. We got big nets. <laughs> I'm finding this coronavirus. I'm going to pin it down. I'm going to force myself onto it to it understands what it's been doing to us as a nation. And then we're we're going to start attacking the jungles because this is obviously a full frontal war of the planet Earth against the human race. And we got to start no tree left alive by the end of this. <laughs> well, either way, no matter what happened with Nigel, rather than face even the chance of participating, he sent a certified letter to J. Edgar Hoover warning of the upcoming attempt and fired the weapon in the bank to make sure he'd be in jail while the murder took place. Weird. And that is all true. That's true. It's weird. weird. Okay. Well, at the very least, he said afterward that he was in there because he did not want to participate in the JFK assassination. Oh, okay. So he didn't call, he didn't he, say that JFK was going to be assassinated and said, I don't want to be a part of it, so put me in jail. This was all after he was killed? He said that he sent a letter to J. Edgar Hoover, and he said that this was because of JFK. But at the time when he was arrested, he just said, I would rather be in prison than commit murder or treason. I see. Do you think it's more or less suspicious to talk to your jailer? After the assassin, after the assassination happened, do you be like, "See, I'm innocent"? <laughs> like you're like, "Yeah, you're in jail. What are you talking about? How do you see? Nothing to do with that. Never tried to kill the president, not even once. Flawless plan." Now, Nigel was all set to testify about all this in 1995, but before he was able to do that, he died of a mysterious heart attack 
just before his hearing. Hmm. Nigel had also entrusted a purple trunk, supposedly full of evidence, to a beloved niece. But when <laughs> she went to retrieve it from oh. his house after his death, she said the house was ransacked and the trunk was missing. I don't know what happened to you, trunk, Unky Nagel. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody might have given me a kiss for it. Oh, my. Why is that so disgusting? It sounds like Betty Bloop. Just like an aborted Betty Boop. Would you just say Betty Bloop? Yeah, an aborted, an aborted Betty Boop. That's me, Betty Bloop. All I do is fart. Oh, and really? the boys pay me for I'll come back from the war. They want some kind of entertainment so nothing like hearing a couple of loose flaps flap in the air of a woman-made wind. So you're saying the greatest generation invented cake farts after they came back from the war? <laughs> That's what you're trying to say? That's what they did. Uh, there's, there's one of those stories. So the, Na- the Nagel story is very uh, mysterious. Also, the allegations of PFC, Eugene Dinkin. Yeah, is another guy that straight up said he was a cryptographic code operator stationed in Metz, France. On November 4th, 1963, he went AWOL and he entered Switzerland using forged document. And he said, I know for a fact that they, quote unquote, they were plotting against President Kennedy and that something would happen in Dallas. But then somehow he ended up in an insane asylum. And yeah, you might say coincidence uh, about that about you know yeah maybe it does sound crazy that he said right. he knew that someone was going to kill president kennedy or was he just so crazy enough to tell the truth but i don't think he did say someone was going to kill kennedy he said the word they and something <laughs> so pretty broad strokes i mean who knows because it could definitely could have just been almost spoiling jfk's birthday party which Aww. was supposed to be a very nice surprise now, it seems like Nigel was jumping the gun, so to speak, by getting himself arrested on September 20th, a full month before Dallas. But this was actually correct timing, because Dallas was quite possibly the third serious attempt on the president's life that November. On November 2nd, JFK was supposed to attend an Army Air Force game at Soldier Field in Chicago, but just before Kennedy left Washington, the FBI learned from an informant that four snipers were planning to shoot Kennedy while his motorcade drove from O'Hare Airport to the game. Mm. Pretty much the exact same game plan as Dallas. Not too long after that, criminals in Tampa were caught on tape openly talking about a very specific plot to kill the president in Florida. So, so Floridian. <laughs> Just openly talking. Yeah, I'm here to president, but first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm gonna finally go to school. Really? <laughs> well, yep. when I kill the president, I'm going to write a song about a cheeseburger in paradise. Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> that was when he was going by Buffet, because he's actually French. <laughs> Now, the Florida attempt was the work of white supremacists, but the Chicago attempt was possibly orchestrated by who else but the Chicago Mafia. Yeah, man, I don't fucking trust no deep dish mafia. I like a thin crust mafia. Now, when it comes to JFK assassination conspiracy theories, the CIA definitely holds the top spot as far as motive, means, and opportunity go. But a snuggling second is the Mm. Chicago Mafia, Mm. although the two of them are closely related, if not intertwined. If not intertwined, because (laughs) there is a long history of the CIA and the Mafia, Frodo and Samwise, kissing each other and supporting each other through a perilous journey on their way 
to killing the president. Henry is literally 25 years late watching Lord of the Rings. He <laughs> watched Lord of the Rings over quarantine. You have been doing fan fiction of Frodo and Samwise having sex in your head for a week. Sam, I can't believe that I can come so hard while you're pulling my penis back behind <laughs> my balls. <laughs> That's that's how hobbits do it. (laughs) (laughs) Starting in the early 60s, four mobsters named Santo Traficante, Johnny Rizzelli, John Martino, and and Carlos Marcello had all all been CIA assets working on plots to assassinate Fidel Castro at the direction of then-Vice President Richard Nixon. Now, fiction or not, Anyone who's seen The Godfather Part 2 knows that the mob had a vested interest in Cuba. You remember that whole scene. Of course I it do. It was an abortion, Michael. <laughs> oh. Well, the reason why is because those casinos that the mafia owned had flourished under the brutal dictatorship of U.S.-backed leader Fulgencio Batista. And with Castro coming in, casino game was fucking over. Ooh, damn it. Further. Castro was no fun. No fun at <laughs> he all. He was not. A, he's not fun. No, no, no. But again, the clarinets were great in that island. Yes, and they do still have the authentic Coca-Cola, That's which right. is very good. Furthermore, this dictator was a political ally of Richard Nixon, who reportedly had business interests on the island with his good friend Charles B.B. Rebozo, who was a banker from Florida with mob connections. Okay, you're telling me he didn't just specialize in clown noses? (laughs) Without a doubt, he's like, I got big shoes, I got big clown noses, I got big hair. With any luck, I'll be a billionaire. (laughs) I was born with a disorder called Longfoot. I was born with a disorder called Reindeer Nose. And how I wish that I could shed this burden, but instead, I joined the mafia. (laughs) (laughs) And the mafia connections to Cuba went further than just casinos. When President Eisenhower established an arms embargo against Cuba during Castro's revolution, the mafia and the CIA filled the void, providing arms to both sides of the conflict. Good. This this is is all completely legit. Oh my God. The CIA and the mafia... They were working together. That That is undisputed. So we're seeing the beginnings of the system that kind of went unchecked because all of the government kind of let the CIA do whatever the hell they wanted to do as long as they were, quote unquote, getting whatever jobs done that they needed to get done. But what they sort of realized that they had no oversight. Yeah. And the this- CIA was running all these side quests, doing all of this bullshit without anybody's knowledge and hiring the mafia to kill people for them. Well, I mean, that's just that's just smart hiring, you know? <laughs> Who needs a website to find a good person to do the job when you got the mafia? But this just happened with the uh, Fast and Furious situation. This mm-hmm. happens all the time where they sent a bunch of guns to Mexico to track the guns, to theoretically find the drug lords, but they lost the guns. Well, this is a different type of situation. They weren't sending it for any sort of purpose uh, other than making money. Right. Uh, at least the mafia. The mafia was sending it just to make money. That's why they were selling to both sides. Because that way they could maximize their profits by making the conflict go on longer. And the CIA was providing guns to the uh, Cuban exiles in order to advance their own uh, objectives. Because Fast and Furious, at the very least, had like good intentions. Uh, (laughs) Dumb intentions, but good intentions. Uh, This was just pure fucking evil. But, But the thing about Fast and Furious, too, it's all about the family. It is. It's kind of like what uh, Burger King did with the Impossible Burger. You're getting your vegans. You're getting your meat eaters. You're Uh coming together. Yep. Everyone's coming together. 
Now, Eisenhower and Nixon comparatively tolerated the mafia, but when Kennedy became president and appointed his brother Robert as attorney general, the brothers went after the mafia hard. Their specific targets, as far as the bosses went, were Carlos Marcello, Santo Traficante, and Sam Giancana, who described himself as nothing more than a tomato salesman. That's racist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they shouldn't have called it Operation Pasta Sauce because that was really offensive to the Italian people. Well, that's what he said. He's like, I'm a legitimate businessman. I'm a tomato I'm a, salesman. Why I'm you, a why tomato you... salesman. And yeah, one thing about tomatoes, as we know, if you're going to make sauce, you're going to have to squish a couple of tomatoes. Right, right. But you only sell the tomatoes. You don't sell the crust or the cheese. or I just don't see how you could make that much money because you live in a mansion and you have a bunch of cocaine and it's just tomato money? Hey, you're a big, tall, drunk guy. You want to go for a ride with me? I want to go take. I want to show you this fun little place. It's called The Wharf. Yeah. It's only uh, it's only going to be you and me and my buddy here. This guy wearing a mask. And his yeah. name is, uh, what's your name, guy? My name's Fred. Hey, you don't even uh, yeah. Would have been better in his name really being Fred. We're going to go fucking whack you, buddy. Okay, great. All right, I'm just going to be straight. Oh, okay. Well, I like the honesty. I'll go with you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Nice. The Kennedys made it even worse by publicly embarrassing these mobsters. I tell you, I went to Carlos Marcello's house, <laughs> and yeah, he made a big deal saying his wife made homemade marinara sauce. <laughs> and when I went into the kitchen to relieve myself because the bathroom was busy and I knew a quick piss in the sink wouldn't bother anybody, <laughs> I saw that the sauce was in fact... Pray go. Whoa! <laughs> That's the most offensive thing you could possibly say. <laughs> well, the Kennedys called the mobsters up to Washington for public Senate hearings run by Robert Kennedy. Well, you know, the mobsters, of course, every question they asked, they just pled the fifth. But when the mobsters refused to cooperate, RFK went a little schoolyard with his tactics Uh-oh. in the middle of a public hearing. This is absolutely true. RFK absolutely said this. When mobster Sam Giancana merely giggled at most of RFK's questions, Robert Kennedy said, quote, Would you tell us anything about any of your operations, or will you just giggle every time I ask you a question? I thought only little girls giggled, Mr. Giancana. Whoa, RFK, going in. (laughs) (laughs) Now, going after these mobsters took balls for a number of different reasons. But the prosecution of the men up top was particularly difficult because RFK knew that the mobsters were heavily embroiled with the CIA. Carlos Marcello donated money to Cuban exile groups in America, having hooked up with the Cuban paramilitary community through his connections in New Orleans. And these groups were, as we've established, funded and trained by the CIA. And RFK, at the time, too, he was starting to work on his own in-house Cuban project that he was try- basically he was trying to separate even further from the president to keep his brother separated from anything else. He was trying to do his own covert ops in Cuba with a thing called Project Freedom. If you look that up, it's a, got a weird little tr- track thing where he was trying to find a middle ground with using mafia guys that he could he could know and build up essentially a intelligence war in Cuba where it's not a, it wasn't a hot war. We weren't going to do what they did with Bay of Pigs. They didn't want to do a full invasion. It was more like sending sensitive people to the Cuban plate to just go, like a random Americans to literally go in Cuban bars being like, so tell me, 
Kasher kind of sucks, right? Like <laughs> right. doing that kind of weird, like thought virus way of defeating the Castro uh, system. It's essentially a soft coup. That's yeah. what Robert Kennedy was trying to do. But the mafia was involved in that. And because the CIA was working so closely with the mafia, it was difficult to fully prosecute the big boys up top like Sam Giancana because prosecuting would immediately expose collusion with the intelligence community. Mm. The best RFK could do was break up the criminal networks that made these men money. And he did one hell of a job bringing down like heroin distribution networks like the infamous French Connection. Ooh. Now, the mafia thought at first that they could simply influence and blackmail the Kennedys through the Kennedy celebrity connections. But when Giancana and Frank Sinatra got too close, JFK ended his friendship with old blue eyes. Honestly, you got to keep the friendship with Frank. He's your bridge to the other side. I think that was a mistake. I, it's also, you can't depend upon Hollywood. To be your inside guy. Everybody, they just don't care. Like, Frank Sinatra, in the end, is just trying to get a good table at a restaurant. That is all he really wants under this whole scenario. Hollywood people are never that serious unless you're harboring a pedophile ring, and then that is very serious business in Los Angeles. JFK also ended his illicit relationship with Judith Campbell when she became involved with Sam Giancana, which was a relationship we touched on briefly in our last Relaxed Fit episode. And both of these people were connected to Johnny Roselli, yeah. who, who was the mafia's connection to Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, you know, I tell you, I know La Brea. <laughs> I know Kawanga. You know, don't worry about me, buddy. I know everything you need to know about Hollywood. Tacos, yeah. baby. Just, you just named two places and a food. And you know anything else? The beach else. is by the coast, and Mount Rushmore is in one of the Dakotas. It's in South Dakota. Uh, anything else on the inside of Hollywood? Or do they Renee hate- Zellweger was impressive as Judy Garland. <laughs> Great. I'll take it. So... With both blackmail and influence off the table, the mafia began looking at a third option. Plain fucking murder. Mighty. Now, we don't know if the mafia was actually involved with the assassination, but we do know that they talked about the possibility quite a bit. Hmm. Their first plan was just to kill RFK, but Marcello, according to reports, invoked an old Italian proverb in rebuffing the plan. He said, quote, if you want to kill a dog, you don't cut off the tail. You cut off the head. But if you want to kill a cow, you take a grenade and you put it up its ass. Really? And that's how you make chili. That's how you make chili. Yeah. Okay. Well, in this case, the head was, of course, JFK. Man. You kill RFK, JFK is just going to replace him with another guy, and he's going to go after you twice as hard. I would say, though... To uh, to stick with the analogy, I think that RFK was the heart of the dog. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, he's not like the. I mean, RFK is a very significant character. He's an extremely significant. So yes. character. I actually think he's under underestimating RFK a little bit. See what the mobsters were thinking was that since the Kennedys were backing them into a corner, they really had nothing to lose by taking a shot at the president. They knew that if they succeeded, Lyndon Johnson would most likely back off, and in this, they were absolutely right. Lyndon Johnson was an incredibly petty politician, and since going after the mafia was a pet project of the Kennedys, 
Johnson turned down the volume on the investigations after JFK's death, hmm. and the mob recovered and operated at full strength for decades after. And the world saw the greatest growth in tomato produce in the history. <laughs> in the country. Also, man, we would not have any Scorsese films. That's so, true. <laughs> there is some positives. The mafia also believed they had immunity from investigation because openly investigating the mafia in the murder of the president would have exposed the Kennedy-backed coup to overthrow Fidel Castro, which involved the mob indirectly through their CIA connections. And exposing this coup would, of course, risk pissing off the Soviets again, which might have sparked a full-on nuclear war without all the posing that came beforehand in the Cuban Missile Crisis. But what a wet dream this was for these mafia guys because they're all they're all so full of shit and they all want to be a part of something bigger than they are. They all like are so excited. That's why you become a member of the mafia, right? Like you want it to be like you want to feel important. You want to be a right. big guy. Now you're working with the CIA. You got all these connections to the fucking government. You got fresh gabagool anytime you want. That's incredible. And the CIA, I mean, because the problem is that they don't have a lot of taste. Have you ever seen My Blue Heaven? Yeah. Think about Rick Moranis and Steve Martin. Steve Martin, that great suit, and he does the weird little dance thing. And then Rick, Rick Moranis has got the bad socks and that suit. It's all like that. If you really want to see the true relationship of the CIA and the mafia, you have to watch the film My Blue Heaven to understand. Although you do have the body of Roger Ebert, not necessarily the movie skills. That is really breaking down the movies in the same way. What is the difference between a light bulb and a pregnant woman? What is? You can unscrew... A light bulb. Whoa! That's from My Blue Heaven. That's my blue. <laughs> That's my blue heaven. I just really wish that Frank Drebin was real and Police Squad was there, and then he could have just gone and killed Castro himself, like yeah. he did in the beginning it's, of Naked Gun. And you would believe that if, if if Frank Drebin wasn't involved, if Frank Drebin was involved, he would have been riding on the limo, and it would have been the thing where as as J, as Jackie <laughs> scream and covered in blood, he'd like accidentally grab her boobs five times, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> But the mafia were not the only ones with Cuban interests that had the means and motive to kill the president. There were also the Cuban exiles, who had training facilities in at least three different locations around the United States. And owing to CIA training programs like Alpha 66, these men were highly dangerous individuals. They were dangerous, trained, motivated, and now you blue balled them. Now they don't have a secret war to go to. They were all ready to go, and it's just this, it is a fucking a higgledy-piggledy mix <laughs> of mafia, Cuban exiles, CIA spooks, all just now hanging out. And they got, they got nothing but time to fucking sit and to plot. And they're all incredibly angry at John F. Kennedy for fucking up the Bay of Pigs invasion, especially the Cuban exiles. Dr. Fauci, why is it that your associate, Dr. Henry Thomas Dabrowski, called the coronavirus, quote, higgly piggly? Uh, I don't <laughs> um, really understand. I don't normally espouse a lot of the, the beliefs of Mr. Zabrowski. It's Dr. Zabrowski. I went to eight months of fake doctor school and I drew up a certificate for myself. And I tell you what, I am going to rub a noogie into that fucking coronavirus as soon as I get a handle on it and then the next thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna make pizza thinning whoa <laughs> yep okay but when it comes to these uh, Cuban dissidents they were upset because Kennedy wasn't killing Castro fast because they hate 
Castro. I hate Castro. So they were upset with Kennedy for not taking aggressive enough action. Exactly. Okay. They were upset at Kennedy because they blamed Kennedy for the Bay of Pigs va- invasion failure because they thought that, and rightly thought that, if Kennedy would have uh, supported the invasion with uh, the Air Force, then they would have been successful. But they bl- they just want to see Castro dead. They want to see Castro fucking dead. Yeah. And they blamed uh, Kennedy for uh, not making it happen. Okay. Now, this next part comes from an extremely unreliable witness. But a heroin-addicted stripper named Rose Charamay said that she traveled with two men on November 20th, 1963, who were on their way from Miami to Dallas with orders to kill the president. And I could tell it was two men because I saw at least three feet in there, and I'm certain and I, a man, I was at least two hats in their car, a woman sitting on top of the seat. Uh, we have an entirely different idea about the... The tr- the brain trap that exotic dancers have in their heads. <laughs> they are they know everything. They it's have photographic the, memories. It's more the heroin addicted part than it mm. is the stripper part. No, but that's good because then they think you're sleeping, but you're taking it all in. You don't even know you're taking it all in until you get on cocaine, and then you start talking, and then you're like, I can't believe I knew all this stuff. <laughs> and what was the nationality of these two men? Cuban. Yes. Now, I don't know why the powers that be chose these men to run a side errand on such an important mission, but according to Sheremay, they picked her up in New Orleans and were instructed to take her to Houston where she was supposed to meet a seaman who would give her 10 kilos of heroin in exchange for cash. I'm actually really interested in this trip because I've never met one seaman alone. Normally, I meet like thousands at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Supposedly, this man was holding Cherimay's baby hostage. And her further mission was to take that heroin money to Mexico. And then once she took the heroin money to Mexico, she would get her baby back and she would go back to Louisiana. And this whole story was told in the hospital after Cherimay was hit by a car outside of the Silver Slipper Lounge in Louisiana. I told you, I thought, I was like, is that a car, is that a car honking his horn? But first I was like, it could be a bird. Next thing you know, I'm just, I'm in the hospital. You know what I mean? Where is my baby? Where is it? Did I ever have one? I need to see this 80s sitcom with Michael Keaton, and I'm forgetting the name of, the, I need to see this 80s sitcom with Michael Keaton, and I'm forgetting the name of the other 80s star that was always like the dad that was kind of goofy. Uh, oh, Gutenberg. Uh, Gutenberg. Yeah, Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> This mobster is taking care of this baby? How the hell? Like, he's just feeding it with his gun. What is going on? And why would the mobster hate this woman? And or, I feel like the mobster is getting the raw end of the deal. That's all I'm saying. It's very difficult to be a babysitter for that long. Uh, mobster or CIA operative? Yeah, but worse. <laughs> It depends on what hat you're literally wearing that day. It's either a hat with, like, the Our Lady of San Giacomo on the front of it, or it's a fucking a hat that's got a knife in the back of it. Ooh. Now, both the FBI and the Warren Commission declined to speak to Rose Charamay. But hmm. interestingly, she was found dead on Highway 155 outside of Big Sandy, Texas, just two years after the assassination of the president. Officially, she'd been run over by a car. Again. Hmm. Okay. But. I, I feel like you should learn the <laughs> lesson. I'm, honestly, I don't. There's no reason to die like the fucking Roadrunner. No. <laughs> but she may have also been shot in the head, as records describe a deep star-like wound to her right forehead. Yeah, uh, these aren't like the. T- these aren't up for debate. She was either shot in the head or hit by a car. How are these two things like? Well, we don't know because her detailed autopsy has since been lost. <sighs> 
the important part of Cherimay's story is that she claimed that the two men who drove her were two Cubans named Emilio Santana and Sergio Arcacha Smith. I've seen this video. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of it's called delivering the girlfriend. I mean, it is bang bus, but yeah, delivering really mafia is. man's girlfriend is another like of within those mini sites. Yeah, which they're not wearing seatbelts on that bang bus. Which, uh, is <laughs> no, very it is very dangerous. unhealthy, very dangerous. And with this, we are now officially in the world of infamous conspiracy theorist Jim Garrison. Now, for those of you who have never seen the Oliver Stone movie JFK, Jim Garrison was a New Orleans district attorney who famously prosecuted a local businessman named Clay Shaw for participating in a CIA plot to murder President Kennedy. Tommy Lee Jones doing an incredible, like, like very affected gay man. He's yes. very good in that movie. He's great. Yeah. He's he, Him and Gary Oldman are the, the two good parts of that movie. Do you think yes. that Oliver Stone is... A net negative when it comes to spreading misinformation. Absolutely. Because I was yes. watching his secret history. I think it's Secret History of the U United States. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Secret and it is like, it is, there's so much misinformation. I would, uh, and it concerns me a little bit. I would actually blame Oliver Stone for the fast cut conspiracy theory style that we have to deal with today. That mm. like, and this uh, this person is connected to this person, and this person is connected to this person. It just he has muddled up the conspiracy world so fucking much, uh, much to the detriment of history. Right. Well, of course, Smith and Santana were two big puzzle pieces in Garrison's case, as Garrison claimed that both Smith and Santana told him that they had been active CIA assets in both Cuba and New Orleans since 1962. Garrison further connected the dots when these two dudes, who possibly killed the president, said they also worked closely with New Orleans private detective Guy Bannister. Oh, Guy yeah. Bannister played by Ed Asner in the films. Wonderfully and he, played uh, by Ed Asner. W wonderfully played, but also... Man, he hits that N-word hard, like <laughs> well, four or five times in a way that it feels like, Ed Asner, did you have this bottled up? <laughs> Guy Bannister, I do not have a vagina, but if, but I am wet. That is the, that's a, that's a hunky name. Guy Bannister is a hunky, hunky name. But he doesn't look like Kevin Costner. He looks like Ed Asner. He's Ed Asner. <laughs> that's the thing. Guy uh, Bannister, I mean, I honestly would be more attracted to him if his name was Man Staircase. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you remember from episode two, Guy Bannister was the private detective who had an office at 544 Camp Street, which was the address Lee Harvey Oswald had printed on the flyers he handed out in New Orleans for fair play for Cuba. That's not in dispute. But according to Jim Garrison, Guy Bannister shared an office with Emilio Santana and Sergio Arcacha Smith at 544 Camp Street. And the office was supposedly a central planning point for CIA-sponsored Cuban exile operations in America. Guy Bannister also supposedly worked with the alopecia-stricken David Ferry. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Played by Joe Pesci. Who, if you'll remember, was Lee Harvey Oswald's captain in the Civil Air Patrol when Oswald was just a teenager. Coincidence? Whoa! <laughs> it's another one of those. I love it in the movie how they depict it as Ed Asner 
screaming and making coffee. Like he's making coffee and he's doing all that stuff filled with Cubans. It's like guys in, a, in the, the most stereotypical way, like Patton, the croquetas and like making depressing the sandwiches and shit and loading guns. And Joe Pesci with his fucking eyebrows slapped on with the little Captain Bray's hat going like, get out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Like, which is, it's such a funny scene to think that this is how it went down. <laughs> Well, Garrison's star witness for all of this was Perry Russo, who, while drugged and hypnotized... Completely si- true. Completely true. Perry Russo, the guy that... Remember the guy that Kevin Bacon played? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Drugged and hypnotized. That's how he came up with this whole story, an extremely leading series of questions. Perry Russo said that he'd heard Clay Shaw and David Ferry discuss a plot to kill JFK with Lee Harvey Oswald at a party. Just at I a party. Mean- and to remind you of this scene in the movie, Perry Russo, of course, played by Kevin Bacon. And the scene in question is the one where they were all painted in gold while dressed as <laughs> dandy fops during one of their many homosexual orgies. The homosexual orgy, I think, is the most <laughs> like true part of it. <laughs> yeah, that part I believe. I, I absolutely believe that all these men dressed up as dandy. Yeah. A bunch of dudes in, in fucking New Orleans in the early 1960s having a good time with poppers. Yeah, they're fucking painted in gold and dressed in as dandy fops and having orgies. What of it? I'm just, Honestly, and it only takes me, I don't even need poppers to start talking about killing the president. I have three or four cups of Spring Hill Jack coffee and I'm right there. <laughs> I don't need to be with a, covered in cum. Actually, I prefer not to be covered in cum. Yeah. John Candy came a long way from being a shower curtain ring sales. I'll tell you that John Candy was not painted gold in that movie. Oh, he was not God. in that scene. Good. That was, you're thinking of Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I'm thinking Tommy of, Lee Jones. I'm thinking of an old man that I watched. Uh, my father took me to the movie theater to watch that because he thought it was history. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's why both of my older brothers are gay or not, but I guarantee you, my father is just like, oh, I should not have taken them to that my film. God. <laughs> Uncle Buck has become Uncle Fuck. <laughs> Now, in the movie, Jim Garrison is portrayed by Kevin Costner, and he's portrayed as a defender of American justice. Good family man, just doing the right thing. I've been sleeping for three years! (laughs) But according to reporter James Phelan, who made this claim under oath, Garrison had, at least at one point, a very different idea as far as motivation went. According to this reporter, Garrison very clearly and at length went on and on about how he believed that the whole plot to murder the president was a homosexual thrill killing akin Mm -hmm. to the Leopold and Loeb murders of the 20s. Wait, how did he get there? I'll go go into it. I'm going into it right now. Well, Phelan said Garrison told him, quote... John Kennedy was everything that Dave Ferry was not. A successful, handsome, popular, wealthy, virile man. You can just picture the charge Ferry got out of plotting his death. Look at the people involved. Dave Ferry, homosexual. Clay Shaw, homosexual. Jack Ruby, homosexual. Wait a second. My name's Jack Ruby. (laughs) (laughs) And after adding two more gay men to this conspiracy, Uh Garrison said, That's six homosexuals in the plot. One or maybe two, okay. But all six homosexuals, how far can you stretch the arm of coincidence? And I'll tell you what, you put six homosexuals together, that's called a trifle of homosexuals. That is what it is. It is incredible to see what kind of plots they come up just sitting, thinking, drinking cocktails of mocktails for those of them that become sober. (laughs) 
<laughs> so five gay dudes, there. that's a party. Six gay dudes, that's a plot. That's a conspiracy. That's a conspiracy, <laughs> okay. my Makes friend. all the sense in the world. And did he say this in court? No, he told this to a reporter. Okay. Because the reporter was trying to tell us, like, come on, tell me what you th- really think happened. Tell me what you really think happened. And finally, uh, Garrison said, all right. I'm going to lay it all out for you. This is the truth right here. You never ask a man in his 50s, in the 60s, what he really thinks. <laughs> I also don't think that there's ever been a time period where it actually is probably true more than now that if you get six homosexuals together in a room, they might start talking about how to kill the president. Maybe! <laughs> well, Garrison further claimed that Jack Ruby's quote-unquote homosexual nickname was Pinky. Mm-hmm. And that Lee Harvey Oswald was a switch hitter who couldn't satisfy his wife. And by the way, Garrison, who was a gigantic critic of the Warren Report, used the Warren Report to support that claim. Okay. If you take a look at some of this paperwork here, you'll see that he, is a, he never once learned how to activate the clitoris. Uh. And he only, he once told his wife that a pussy is like a butthole, but without shit in it. <laughs> <laughs> but as obviously ridiculous as all that is, Kennedy did have further very real enemies besides just jealous homosexuals with alopecia. Besides the CIA and the FBI and the military industrial complex and the mafia, Kennedy had also gained the hatred of the Texas oil barons by proposing the closing of a gigantic tax loophole that Texas oilmen had been exploiting since 1913. All right. I can just see Robert McNamara being like, Mr. President, we got a problem. Number one, we got uh, homosexuals with alopecia. They do not like you. <laughs> and then also we got oil magnets who are upset with you. The first thing we can do with that, to fight the alopecias, is we can make wigs illegal. <laughs> That's very good. But now, um, possibly a bigger threat. Now, oil magnets, they also don't like you. They have a lot of money. I don't know who's scarier. (laughs) Gay men having an orgy or people who have a lot of money on the line. I don't know who it could be. I mean, these guys were serious. And and this closing this tax loophole was going to be a gigantic blow to their profit margins. Then, in June of 1963, Kennedy went after the Federal Reserve when he used an executive order to strip their power to lend printed money to the government by returning the right to print money to the U.S. Treasury. Yeah, Executive Order 11110, I think it was. Literally, I think it might be that. Actually, I think it's 11101. I think it's 11110000. Yeah? 111. You guys want to do this? This is like if the lawnmower man had a podcast. <laughs> Gotta get see Wapner. Remember that? I love Rain Man. Rain Man, yeah. But the enemy that was closest in proximity to JFK was Lyndon Baines Johnson. Also known as Lyndon Baines Johnson. Indeed, yes. <laughs> Huge cock. See, See, Vice President had been a consolation prize to Johnson after Johnson lost to Kennedy in the particularly bitter primary of 1960. Now, Johnson hated Kennedy with every ounce of his being because Johnson believed that he had earned the presidency and Kennedy had, in effect, skipped the line. And he'd pissed off all of LBJ's friends in the Texas oil business in the process. Now, that part is fact. What comes next is rumor. Rumor. Okay. Supposedly, the night before the assassination, Johnson's mistress, Madeline Brown, attended a reception at a Texas oil baron's house in Dallas. 
She said that LBJ arrived around midnight, anxious and red-faced, and whispered an ominous statement into her ear in a quiet growl. Don't tell anyone I just pissed my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hammered. If I don't speak, no one will know how hammered I am. Go into my office and get my executive diapers. (laughs) According to her, he said, quote, After tomorrow. Those goddamn Kennedys will never embarrass me again. Well, that's pretty ominous, <laughs> Mr. Johnson. Do you? Is there anything that's going to happen? I'm going to show them all. Take a look at this five-foot teddy bear I wanted to carnival, not just last evening. And you cannot see how a man with more accurate sight did live. I could shoot that clown in the mouth until his brain exploded with the water cannon and earn this five-foot-long teddy bear. Never be embarrassed again. (laughs) That's kind of scary. All right. She also said that the other guests at that party were the mayor of Dallas, mobster Carlos Marcello, Governor Jack Connolly, and who else but Jack fucking Ruby. I don't know if anybody's inviting Sparky Rubenstein to have dinner with the senator and the vice president. I don't think that he's going to be invited to that. Well, would he, I mean, honestly, though, is it possible that he was bringing girls in party atmosphere? Uh, who knows? Who knows? Know. Now, that is dubious. But what's not in question is what Johnson did at his swearing-in ceremony. Fuck shit, motherfucker, goddammit, piece of shit, mother shit, fuck, fuck, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Cunt, 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 You're the president now. I love my swearing-in ceremony. That was so much fun. It's so fun to do. You can do it now what's nice in quarantine is that this is a really good time to have your own swearing-in ceremony. Yeah, that's it. After taking the oath of office, remember, with First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis at his side by LBJ's directive, LBJ turned to Congressman Albert Thomas and gave him a knowing wink. And the congressman winked right back. They are boning each other. (laughs) But honestly, how how many numbers of winks in American history do you think led to somebody's murder? Hmm. Well, doesn't the wink happen after the murder and after you got away with it? Yeah. Yeah, the wink happens after, like, we did it, buddy. Wink. Wink. <laughs> Wink it. Now you can stream the live TV you love for just 40 bucks a month with Sling TV. Get your favorite channels and shows for the best price. If you want live sports, Sling has all the football playoffs and pro and college basketball. Stay up to date with breaking news from around the world with MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News. Sling also has reality, TV, popular entertainment, kid shows, and more. Sling costs almost half as much as other live TV providers, so you can watch more and pay less. Sling is easy. Sign up in minutes, stream at home or on the go on up to three devices, and record up to 50 hours with included DVR space. Get flexible channel lineups that put you in control. Pause, change, or cancel your service at any time. You'll never get locked into a long-term contract. Check out Sling.com for special offers. Sling, the live TV you love for a price you love. Last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Thanks, Squarespace! With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website, all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. 
It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. I'm, I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses Filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya centaur picks are not going anywhere. And I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay, because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need Squarespace to shoot this through the roof for me this year. And that's why I'm going to go full tilt and not only are you going to get the judge reinhold sitting on the clydesdale entire series clothes and non-clothes what we also are going to offer and i mean this we're trying to get into giraffe rides i brought this up the other day we got to start riding other animals but horses take pictures of the horses photoshop the horses into other celebrities but stop riding them save a horse ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. So now that we've established that dozens, if not hundreds, of extremely powerful people wanted nothing more than to see the end of JFK's presidency... Let's get into the witnesses that were actually in Dealey Plaza on the day of the assassination. That's what we have here that makes the JFK assassination conspiracy world so thick and meaty. is the fact that <clears throat> you had hundreds of witnesses. Uh, you had all of this evidence. You, it was in fucking the middle of the day he got mm. shot in the fucking head. So mm. you have footage you have the Mormon photo, you have the Zapruder film, you have all of these things that act documented this this fucking murder. But it's it, that's what makes this entirely unique, is that we get to see the murder happen from fucking like three different angles. Right. And you hear at the time, because cops were right on the scene, so people were auto automatically, they were automatically talking to witnesses. So they had so much information. But the one thing that we sort of, I think we start to hit here is kind of like when Columbine was happening and they were interviewing people on the scene. Oh. They immediately said there were like six shooters. Yep. They, 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 so now what we're going to see is a flood of information and I want, and you wonder where the truth lies and where some conspiracy theorists really want you to think that every single witness Witness was correct, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. might increase the number of shooters every single time you speak with somebody. It right. has to. Yes. Now, according to the conspiracists, Dealey Plaza was the perfect place for an assassination. The nature of the parade route meant that the president's limo had no choice but to slow down on that stretch of road, and there were dozens of vantage points from which an assassin could take a fatal shot. They call it a killing box. In addition to that, the open-air layout of Dealey Plaza on the ground made it possible for support teams to control the entire crime scene while capitalizing on the chaos that was going to inevitably ensue afterward. 
And the most famous claim when it comes to conspiracy is that the fatal shot to the president's head came not from the book depository where Lee Harvey Oswald was perched behind the president, but rather to the right of the limo on the grassy knoll. Yeah, grassy knoll! Yeah, we finally made it! There it is. Now, for those of you who have no idea what the fuck a grassy knoll is... It was just a patch of grass on a slight incline. That's what a yeah, grassy knoll nice. is. But it's nice, though. It's like a little, it's a nice little spot where nope. you can go, you can take a shit, you can kill a president. <laughs> it's nice. There's a little bench there. A more accurate description of the area would be a grass-covered hill leading to a parking lot with a small fence separating the two locations. Now, when the fatal shot came, witnesses said they heard shots come from the area around that fence at the top of the grassy knoll, and they instinctively ran towards it. But some of them said that they were stopped by men in plain clothes, identifying themselves as Secret Service. In particular, a police officer named Joe Marshall Smith said he was among the first to rush up the grassy knoll. He said he pulled his gun on a man in the parking lot behind the fence, but the man pulled out Secret Service credentials and Smith let him go. Problem with that is that at least according to the Secret Service, no Secret Service agents were on the ground in Dealey Plaza that day, and none stayed behind on the scene after the president was shot. So who was that guy? Who was that guy? And who was that guy? Now, supposedly, the preparation for the assassination began prior to JFK's arrival in Dallas. Two days before, Dallas police reported a group of men standing behind the fence on top of the grassy knoll, practicing their aim with rifles in hand. And a boom. Hey, very good. Yeah, it's a very good. Johnny, you're doing a very good. Uh, yeah, what they imagine a cantaloupe that I likes to fuck. Uh-huh. That is not what we shoot. It is sitting in a limousine, which is a half a car. It's a crazy thing you don't have a hat on a car. Eh? Hey, Johnny, you are the funniest I hate man I've ever seen. That's crazy. And about an hour before the assassination, a woman named Julia Ann Mercer said she saw a green van stop at Dealey Plaza, and a man carrying what looked like a rifle case wrapped in paper got out and carried the package up to the top of a grassy knoll. This is my rifle. He's a, It's my son. And uh, uh-huh. I want to make sure he gets a good vantage point of the president as he <laughs> travels through here slowly with his brain exposed. <laughs> I do love, like, they just wrap things in newspaper, and they're like, with any luck, they'll just think it's today's daily rag. It's like, definitely looks <laughs> like a gun, sir. Well, that's what, they, I remember one person, one of the people that talk about, one of the various witnesses that says that says Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with the shooting, would talk about how he picked up Lee Harvey Oswald to take him to work, where he had his infamous curtain rods with him. And he's like, and I remember exactly that day, said Lee Harvey Oswald, yeah, he picked up his curtain rods and he held them just like you would, by the butt of them because those those <laughs> curtain rods had a big butt at the end a big long kind of barrel thing at the top and he held it just like you would a stack a stack of curtain rods and so i'm like what are you fucking talking about and he's like and he's held it with military position yeah he did it in a thing like he was like trying to use it or like, and like it was like a hefty and it was a bunch of jangling bullets in his pockets yeah naturally of course I mean, just to give you a, a perspective on what everybody who says that Lee Harvey Oswald has nothing to do with it says, at according to them, at this moment, Lee Harvey Oswald is sitting in the book depository lunchroom enjoying a sandwich. Ooh, bologna sandwich, That's all he's maybe. doing. He's just <laughs> hanging out, listening to a, I guess, listening to a podcast. Maybe. Well, this woman said that the person driving that van was without a doubt 
Jack Ruby. But when she later saw the statement she'd supposedly given in written form, she discovered that the report said she could not identify the driver. Coincidence! Interesting. (laughs) And there were other witnesses as well. A man named Julius Hardy said he saw three men with rifles and shotguns on top of the underpass at Dealey Plaza. And Mm -hmm. two more men said they saw a man built like a football player, dude about six foot five, carrying a rifle into Dealey Plaza. Now, what do you mean built like a football player? Well, what I'm saying is it looks like he could commit a double murder. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Um, If they are trying to be so secretive. Would they just be? I'm going to say the words willy nilly. Mm-hmm. They're just out there with their guns, flashing them to people. It doesn't like why They're would they be doing Kissel. You think this shit doesn't take rehearsal? No, I believe that it this would. Thing, there but... wasn't a choreographer involved giving notes. But why would they just <laughs> lock down the entire area? If because they could do that with the parade route, at mm-hmm. least they do it now. I mean, the whole damn city shuts down now. Ah, uh, but who would lock down the area? That would cause quite a bit of attention. All right, hmm. maybe get that football player as a double murderer. To do it. <laughs> there also may have even been people running interference to distract from the setup immediately prior to the president's arrival. Honestly, this is where Henry would come in great. <laughs> Just be like Henry and Kissel. Okay, goon and troll, you guys run. In different directions. Meet got up it. in the middle. You got it? Got it. Got it. I know how to do this, all right? Oh, free, free pasta. I got free pasta. Free pasta. I'm a great distraction. A man named Jerry Belknap had an epileptic seizure on the scene. But when he got to the hospital, apparently just got off the stretcher and walked away without a word. Seems like maybe nothing was wrong with Jerry Belknap. That's why when hmm. I do my cabaret act, I'm known as the great epilepto. Whoa! <laughs> cool. But all that is what comes before the president's arrival. The real meat of the witness statements comes from the moment itself. And there aren't many witnesses more famous than Ed Hoffman. Ed Hoffman was deaf and mute. Which you think would make him actually a worse witness. But, he but actually, see. it doesn't. That's the thing. Yes. According to conspiracists... That gave him sharper eyesight than most. Like Daredevil. Him and Daredevil are the same because Daredevil's <laughs> got the superhero in Annie's Catholic. Yeah, yeah, he's opposite Daredevil. Is yeah. there... I, I do believe... <laughs> obviously, senses do... They do... Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. They do... Of course. But when it comes to eyesight, could it really have been that much better? He's not Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hoffman had found a spot right off the Stimmons freeway to watch the motorcade go by. And in waiting for the president, he surveyed the scene. He said that he saw a suspicious-looking fellow in a suit hanging around the grassy knoll, along with another suspicious-looking man in a railroad worker's outfit. Just cut to the inner workings of Terminator's brain. He just, like, (laughs) traces everyone. (laughs) No, he saw the scene from Wayne's World 2. We've already said this several times, where he just saw them all hanging out. There was a Native American. Then, when the motorcade came, Ed said he saw a puff of smoke come from the man in the suit. Now, at first, Ed thought that the puff of smoke was from a cigarette. But then, he said he saw the suited man turn around quickly with a rifle in his hand, which made Ed assume the smoke was from a shot. Because remember, Ed was deaf. He wouldn't have heard it. Right. Immediately after, he said he saw the man in the suit run over to the railroad worker and quickly tossed the rifle. And the railroad worker broke down the rifle with a twist and walked away with it. Yeah, and he, he, like, he watched him go, 
disassemble the rifle, put it inside of a toolbox, and then put it inside one of those electric boxes, like one of those weird, like, side utility boxes, and hide it. And from what Hoffman said, a police officer then came around the fence and confronted the suited man. The suit showed identification, which was good enough for the police officer, and some think that this police officer was Joe Marshall Smith. Okay. Now, Hoffman tried to report this to the police, but since he was deaf and mute, the Dallas police didn't have the patience to suss out what Hoffman was trying to say. Oh, they weren't super accommodating? (laughs) (laughs) So, Hoffman kept quiet about it for three years. Hoffman then tried going to the FBI, but he claims the FBI agent he spoke with pointed his index finger at Hoffman, then put his finger to his own mouth, in the hush sign. Well, that's a little bit redundant. Shushy, shushy, shushy. The agent then tried to pay Hoffman off with a $500 payment, but Hoffman refused and instead had a long career as a conspiracy documentary mainstay. And that nothing is more lucrative than being a professional conspiracy theory witness. You know, I think that JFK, out of all conspiracy theorists, if you are on the front lines, mm-hmm. I bet you, you could actually make a little bit of money. You could they probably did. make like five grand a year. Yeah. This was the this is really the heyday of the conspiracy theorists, especially during the 80s when the man who killed Kennedy. You watch all of these people like now we did. There are so many conspiracy theorists. You throw a fucking you throw an umbrella gun five feet and you'll hit 10 conspiracy theorists. But then this this is really was a cottage industry. There's a lot of people that made vague sums of money from this crime. Now, what's not widely known is that Abraham Zapruder might not have been the only person filming on the grassy knoll that day. Supposedly, an infantryman named Gordon Arnold had brought his camera as well. But from what Arnold said, when he began walking around to get a better vantage point, a man in a suit with a gun claiming to be a Secret Service agent blocked his way. Remember, no Secret Service agents on the ground. Yep. He said, get out of here. Arnold's get, hey, hey, buddy, hey. Get out of here. And I and I don't really... I'm one of those where if you have a gun and something that even looks slightly like a badge, and you're like, hey, get out of here. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. not going to be like, I want to speak to your superior, sir. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm just going to go. Yeah. So, Arnold settled into the top of the knoll and began filming. Arnold said that just after the car turned onto Elm and started toward his position... He felt a bullet whiz past his left ear and just afterward heard the crack of a rifle report. Arnold hit the deck, but once the shooting stopped, he felt a sharp kick. He said he looked up and saw a policeman standing over him telling him to get up. Once he did, he noticed another policeman crying and shaking. And that officer, in distress, was holding a long rifle. They demanded the film from Arnold's camera, and Arnold complied. And two days later, he took a plane to Alaska to report for duty at Fort Wainwright and was so terrified, he didn't tell anyone about his experience until years later. Wow. Or so Gordon Arnold says. Right. Now, Gordon Arnold's presence at Dealey Plaza has long been debated. But in the 80s, it's thought that Arnold might have finally been found in what is known as the Mormon photograph. This photo, which some theorists claim to be the key to the whole goddamn thing, was a Polaroid taken at the moment of Kennedy's death by a woman named Mary Mormon. And she's just as surprised as you to be a part of history because she was just trying to take a picture. And think about that, like Mm. the moment 
she took the picture the moment his fucking brain exploded. Damn. So cool picture. Yeah. But also very traumatizing. So when it comes to new tech, do you think that the CIA was still operating in an older world? Did I mean, because yes. this is like the last time you could ever do this. Every inch of everything now is videoed. Yep. This is like maybe do you think they underestimated? Just how many people had cameras and like how mains how mainstream they had become. Probably, I mean, this is because uh, it's a pretty ballsy ass again daylight. Yeah, this is, this is this is without a doubt the most documented assassination in world history. So you know, after they did it, they were like, "Whew, got away with one." <laughs> wow, <laughs> do guys. that again. Wow, flip phones are coming, guys. Believe, I have come to believe that they, uh, if they did have a hand in murdering the president. The reason why like, this is me full conspiracy theorist, you know, turned around logic. They did it because they knew how much coverage there would be because they wanted to show that if we want to kill the president, we can touch him right in front of everybody. We can literally kill him in front of everybody and there's nothing anybody can do. We're completely in control. When you say they, you're talking the CIA in this case? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But on the other hand, if this, but that's on. That kind of, that that theory just sort of takes any and all any and all. Yep. Uh, it just it, it's a blanket theory. Exactly. He's an actor. He, he's a sponge. He's a sponge. Exactly. You know what a blanket does? Keeps you warm. Keeps you warm. That's right. But if the CIA truly was uh, concerned about taking away any and all documentation, why did they not take away the camera of the man who was standing on a pedestal with a big fucking camera? Right. I think they wanted they wanted it. Ah. They wanted it. Cop ah. out. Ah. Ah. Come on. That's me. Also, that theory doesn't hold up because the Zapruder film didn't come out until years later and there had to be multiple court cases to get it shown in public. I am underneath my blanket. I have a conspiracy theory pillow, and I am laying my head on it. I have my, I have my, how many people killed JFK curlers in? <laughs> well, back to the Mormon photograph. Through quite a bit of creative interpretation concerning blobs and spots, you can kind of sort of make out a man holding a camera, which some think is Gordon Arnold, the guy who claims to have had the run-in with the fake cops. Right. But that isn't the true meat of the photograph. Supposedly, this photograph also captured the infamous Badge Man. Badge Ooh, Man! Finally, we're at Badge Man! <laughs> and it captured him at the moment that he fired the shot that struck the president in the skull and killed him. And the badge he was wearing that's kind of sort of visible was part of the police officer costume the assassin was wearing, supposedly the same man that Gordon Arnold saw crying and shaking. And if you look closely, that badge is from the Burger King Kids Club. <laughs> Remember Wheels? That was nice. Now it's at this point that you might be asking yourself, just who these assassins were. Who's Badge Man? I have been asking that for five weeks, and you guys have not answered me yet. <laughs> we're oh, we're wait. about to now. All right, thank you, God. You ain't, my friend. It's about time we got into it. And, you know, we're not just going to talk about the guys on the grassy knoll. Some conspiracists say that there were whole groups of assassins in the surrounding buildings, or on the highway, or even underground. Abe Vigoda was there. <laughs> so we're going to go through a surprisingly long list of who these men might have been and where each set of shooters might have been grouped. I want shoe size and I want cock size. Otherwise, none of this is making sense. <laughs> they're they're Italian, so it's not about length. It's about girth. And they're, they also, some of them are French, which means, I don't even, they're uncut. <laughs> In a fast-paced world, 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today all right back to the assassins Ooh, let's start with badge man badge man if he did marcus it's badge man (laughs) badge man badge man if he did exist was most likely a corsican hitman named lucian sarti who it said took the contract in europe and slipped through the mexican border along with two other corsican hitmen using italian passports in the first week of november Marcos, it is Lucien Sartre. <laughs> yeah, I was charged with the killing of the president, which is true. And he went to the head of the Corsican Mafia. The Corsican Mafia guy, boss, the, the, I don't know how you say it in French, the, the, the boss. He called his hitman into his room and he's like, okay, you boys, we're going to be hitting, we're going to do a hit uh-huh. on an American politician. And they're like, okay, so some kind of senator, some kind of hair of representative. Fingers and he crossed, said, no. fingers crossed, it's Hubert Humphrey. Fingers <laughs> crossed, it's Hubert Humphrey. He said, I want you to kill the highest vegetable. That is the French term, I guess, <laughs> for the, the, the president, like the big guy up top. So they're wow. trying to kill the highest vegetable. Mm-hmm. Then you got the Cubans. These men were members of the aforementioned Operation 40 and Alpha 66, and both of those organizations were staffed with professional sharpshooters who were readily available and could have traveled to Dallas to do the job. That means they're semi-pro sharpshooters, which is kind of scary. (laughs) They they were freelance sharpshooters, (laughs) and they yes, they were ready to travel to Dallas in a second because they didn't really have a lot going on. Because when you're a professional sharpshooter or a semi-professional sharpshooter in your day life and you have nobody to actually kill, your only job is just giving people finger guns outside of gas stations. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those guys were supposedly in the buildings behind JFK. Some were in the book depository, along with Lee Harvey Oswald and possibly Malcolm. Malcolm Wallace, who was said by Roger Stone in his 2013 JFK book to be LBJ's personal assassin in addition to being his press secretary. See, Roger Stone doesn't get everything right, but sometimes even a broken clock. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> don't even try to use the broken clock thing again. You if you don't know how that works and you don't know what the saying is. I do. A broken clock is wrong six times a day, or it's right six times a day if you really break it down by the seconds and the minutes, but we've already done You're that. derailing another series with this. Seconds and the minutes, so you're still very wrong about that. If you take down the middle of seconds. You're in extremely wrong about this. Doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> now, even though that claim does come from one of the biggest pieces of shit in American history, Malcolm Wallace did murder a man named John Kinzer in the clubhouse of an Austin golf course in 1951 by shooting the guy three times with a snub-nosed pistol because the guy was having an affair with Malcolm Wallace's wife. And guess what he got for that? 
five-year suspended sentence. Honestly, Whoa. you're going to have an affair with a mobster's wife. You're going to get hit with a snub nose. That's kind of how He wasn't a mobster. He was not a mobster. He was he's just, just a guy. dude. He's just a fucking he guy. Was, he and was also, LBJ's uh, press secretary. LBJ, that is a fact. LBJ's press secretary killed a guy. <laughs> well, you know, so did just Scott seems Hall. Like the least <laughs> helpful job. If you're going to be a hitman, where your job is to go in front of television cameras and speak into microphones. <laughs> yeah, all right. Tough guy. Anyway, across the street in the Dal Tex building, you had a whole other set of assassins. Among those was possibly Charles Nicoletti, a.k.a. Chucky Typewriter, who was Sam Giancana's top hitman in Chicago. It's because I'm allergic to pens. That's why they call you Chucky Typewriter? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's the reason why I also go clickety-clickety-clack, clickety-clack, clickety-clack, and if you hit my space bar... Some weird things happen. Oh, my. Let me just read you what you wrote here, Chucky Typewriter. And then he grabbed for his shaft. No, not the barrel of a gun. It was his heart. Hard cop. Hey, don't, hey, don't read my Jackie JFK fan fiction. Yeah, it's very interesting here, Chucky Typewriter. Well, the reason why they say that there's multiple systems of shooters is because they wanted to do this mafia style. Which requires multiple hit points as you go, which is what they said the mafia did, which I actually don't think that they did. But the CIA <laughs> used mafia people who say this is how they kill people. So they try to cover as many angles as possible. So they flood the area with killers in all different ways to see who can get to JFK first. I have to say, it is very... We got some stereotypical names. We got like a Tommy Tomato, a Victor Vitrola. <laughs> Chucky Typewriter. Yeah, I mean, these are like some pretty mobster names. <laughs> Well, the Daltex building was also the location of Operation 40 member Tony Iscarito. Sure. Suspicious criminal Jim Braden. And future president and then CIA operative <gasps> George Herbert Walker Bush. God. Fucking David Copperfield himself. David Copperfield. <laughs> David Copperfield himself was in one of these buildings. If you look at the documentary Dark oh. Legacy, they talk about the history of the Bushes working with the Nazis. They started the OSS together, mm -hmm. working on I. George, fucking Mr. Pruden himself, H.W., he, wa he was a fucking, the head of the CIA after this, so he got promoted for a job well done, but mm -hmm. he was a spotter because each guy had a, they had a lookout guy, a spotter, they had a gun-loading guy, and they had a guy shooting the guns. This is how it works. Typical. Because it's union. <laughs> Typical so government bureaucracy. So certain people can't do certain jobs because it's against union rules when it comes Good to assassins. Lord. Uh, the Bush family, man, that is crazy. They are. Herbert is Walker a, is not a cute man. George W. No, Bush he is, is not, not a cute man. No. They're also not He's, dumb, which no, is something that evil. a lot of- The entire Bush family yes. is, in, is a dark system of some of the worst spooks that ever lived in this country. They're the reason why this country has a black heart. Jeb! <laughs> I think Please Jeb clap. might be the only good one out of, out of all really? of them. Remember and when that's he why had. he failed. <laughs> Please clap. I, I thought about that yesterday. So remember when he used to take the little turtles around with him on the campaign trail? Nothing and excites the youth more than giving him a fucking turtle. <laughs> Slow and steady wins the race. Doesn't though. Fuck yeah. you. Actually, does your it. father understood that if you wanted to win the race, you kill presidents. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's who was in the buildings. At least a few of the people that were in the buildings. Okay, so we got Chucky Typewriter. We yeah. got Badgeman. We've got no. Badgeman was on the grassy knoll. Badgeman is on. Oh my god. Okay, I feel yeah, like ba Badgeman. Well, if you want to believe that JFK got shot in the front of the head, you know okay. that the Lucille Salty was probably the guy behind the fence dressed in a Halloween store cop uniform 
trying to shoot the president from the side. And that's where the bullet whizzed past the deaf and mute guy. No, that, maybe. No, he wasn't deaf and mute. Gordon Arnold was the guy on the grassy knoll. The deaf and mute guy was on the bridge. I think JFK just saw the future about people talking about how he assass- got assassinated and blew his own fucking brain out. I'm going <laughs> yes. back to suicide. I'm going back to my idea. Well, don't worry. The the my theory or the theory that I subscribe to is very simple. Okay. I think you'll like it. All right. But back to what's going on on the grassy knoll. On the ground, you had Walter Tabinsky and his cousin Clyde. Maybe. These men had supposedly killed over 1,000 people together, and Tabinsky can supposedly be seen on the Zapruder film wearing a bulletproof vest. And you can totally see it if, if if you put it there with your eyes. Right. You'll totally see Walter Dubinsky in a bulletproof vest miming a rifle shot. They say Walter Dubinsky might have been shooting a paralyzing dart into JFK's body to freeze him in place so that the, the bullets could hit him from either side. Walter Dubinsky also might have been the person that the CIA sent a picture of to say, hey, actually, we did have some footage of Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico. So they sent a picture of what they say is Walter Dubinsky, who with bleach blonde hair, to the Warren Commission. And that's where the Lee Harvey Oswald had a double theory comes from. So the government is relying on the Italian and the Polish. <laughs> is that what you're telling me? Yep. Honestly, the only you can depend on the Italian Polish for a nice meat sauce, mm. um, for having back hair. Yeah, that's me and fucking Steve Pacheca, a friend of the show. Of course, um, they're having fucking full on Shrek bellies. That's what an Italian Polish has. And then you've got the Umbrella Man and the Babushka Woman. Babushka. Despite what we said before, the Umbrella Man was possibly Roy Hargraves, who is a member of the Intercontinental Penetration Force. God, what the? What is that? <laughs> what is that? Like, Sarah, we have to ask that? our friend Nadia White if she's ever met the if she's ever met the Intercontinental Penetration Force. Yes, I have. And a what is yes. their day rate? And by the way, the Intercontinental uh, Penetration Force also included men with such male porn star names as. Ramigo Arse, Dick Watley, Ralph Schlafter, and Oscar Del Pinto. I am going as Oscar Del Pinto from now on. That is my new fuck name. That is it. When I next time I make love to Natalie, I'm going to be like, wait a second, no, your husband's not in, and your husband's not here anymore. It's Oscar Del Pinto. Be prepared. Prepare your clitoris. Now, the babushka woman was not involved in the assassination itself, but she said that she got yellow paint on her shoes, which some think came from newly painted markers that were there to let the assassins know when the president's limo reached the perfect kill zone. Yeah, dude, they sent construction workers out. Yeah, you might think that they were just painting the curb for some, like, non-nefarious reasons or because the curb needed to be painted, but no, they decided to put out direct markers with the right. umbrella man opening the umbrella and then big freshly painted curb things that were the the yellow zone the perfect kill zone for the president it seems yeah, so that's much the, more difficult this way oh that's what the umbrella man was there for the umbrella man was there to when he opened the umbrella that meant 
time to kill the president. So we got one guy with the blow dart. We got this Maybe. fresh paint. It could be. We got the umbrella guy having to open up. The th- why Possibly. not? I would just say shoot the guy. <laughs> no, Don't. man. This is what I'm saying. They had a choreographer who's like, Anno, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. I <laughs> yeah. need energy. Yeah. They, they had a Bob Fosse out there. Really? Yeah, jungle cat it, baby. We, I need you guys to put more jazz into this. <laughs> open that umbrella with a plum on the beat. And a one, two, three, four. <laughs> and of course, somewhere in there you had James Files, who was tried again and again to take credit for killing the president. And no one will believe him? No one. No, is, that is, no one's biting. <laughs> no. That is so sad. <laughs> Poor bastard. But things actually go much deeper than ground level. And I'm talking literally. One researcher who made his area of expertise the presidential limousine claims that the only place the fatal shot could have come from was from the sewer grate on Elm Street. Raphael did it. He was very <laughs> upset. He was very sad. Raphael did it because he had a, he's, he's the grumpy one. He had an attitude. <laughs> he's the emotional one. So Frank's so they believe that someone might have popped up from the sewer and shot the president like one of the guys who throws the I think throws the hammers or the the wrenches in Super oh, Mario yes, Brothers 3. Of course. <laughs> but the, I this is one of my favorite sidetracks in all of JFK history. If you look, if you watch the man who killed Kennedy, number one, I posted the picture of the limousine expert on my Instagram. This is the expert. If you see him, <laughs> yeah. his eyes are so crossed, it's like they switch sides. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, one of these guys, talks about how he broke down the Zapruder film footage of JFK's heads exploding, and he's like, "I'm using some of the most modern technology in the world." We could see this photo with up to 256 bits of information, which is far surpassing anything humankind will ever do again. And what he did was create these weird points using this this highly grainy, destroyed 256 gig, whatever the point. 256 pixel. He's talking about pixel. Yes, 256 (laughs) pixel picture, right? So it's just a, a series of grays. He took these things and he created a paper 3D model of what he said that the head wound actually looked like. And it showed that the only way you could see through using this 3D model, it's the only way that you could tell that the shot actually came from below and to the right of the president and blew out his brains. And so they had a guy named Jack Brazil run underground trials to see how fast you could get from Dealey Plaza through the sewers out to just some random just like drainage ditch where he's where he said all of the shooters went from where someone came from from the fucking grate down to a thing and Jack Brazil he's like and I'll tell you what me and my team we ran this run we ran it in 45 minutes and that was with two coffee breaks (laughs) but then we got it down to 37 minutes and then we got it down to 32 minutes and then we got it all the way down to 23 minutes and that's all it took no one's asking for time no one asked no one cared we, there is no time for him we have no clue but you know Jack Brazil is legit because he's got one of those mesh cowboy hats yes you gotta believe him so in order to clarify the Kennedy assassination they made it more blurry yeah. so then they yes. could really figure it out maybe Dogman did it one of my favorite moments from uh, all the JFK doc, uh, conspiracy documentaries that I watch is of uh, Jack Brazil standing in the sewer like with his head poking up out at fucking Dealey Plaza it's just his head just half of his body poking out and he's just looking around surveying yep, just, the scene honestly just if, like this if it was just learn, like this if sitting you want, ducks 
If you want to learn more about Dogman, we have our special coming out very, very soon. Uh, and we talk about Dogman, and it's very, very interesting. And I think you'll like it. Well, the man in the sewer might have been Frank Sturgis. Might have been? <laughs> Frank Sturgis was one of the five burglars in the Watergate scandal, which led to the resignation of President Richard Nixon. And Sturgis was not the only Watergate plumber said to be in Dealey Plaza that day. This, of course, brings us to the Three Tramps. Mm. The Three Tramps are such a fun side quest. Another one of these of like, I'm not quite sure they're always, I'm not sure why they're always looped in to the JFK assassination. I don't know why that picture, but it's a famous picture. Of these three dudes. Well, there's a reason why they get lumped in. Because after the assassination, Dallas police arrested three men appearing to be hobos in the railroad yard behind Dealey Plaza. And the reason why there's so much controversy is because all three of these guys were quietly released without charge or record of detention later that day. Is it possible that the cops were busy doing an investigation of the assassination <laughs> of, a, of a president? How dare you? <laughs> I don't know. But like, what are, what are they being charged for? They're fake hobos. Well, you know what? I think they can. we can take care of them next time. Right, you're gonna get if you're getting a ticket for impersonating a hobo. <laughs> well, I guess I'll take my bindle and I'll go back to my fucking mansion. <laughs> now we don't know for sure who these men were, but there are theories. One is that two of these men were Chauncey Holt and Charles Rogers, men linked with the CIA. And they were accompanied by E. Howard Hunt, whose deathbed ramblings you heard last episode. LBJ. We had pepperoni pizza. I remember JFK saying, I'd fuck that pizza if it had tits. I remember. Others say that one of the three tramps was Edward Lasdale, the architect of the Bay of Pigs invasion, while others say that one of the tramps was the mysterious man named Raoul who planned the murder of Martin Luther King for James Earl Ray. Hmm. There is a very interesting documentary called Spooks, Hoods, and the Hidden Elite that I started watching that talks about Chauncey Marvin Holt and his insights inside of the three tramps. And he says that he was just a driver of the two fake copos. Okay. Well, the juiciest possibility, at least from a celebrity perspective, is that one of the three champs was Charles Harrelson, who happens to be the real-life father of Woody Harrelson. Oh, but now no one yep. related to Woody would do anything wrong. I love Woody Harrelson. <laughs> it's not Woody. Was, Charles Harrelson was executed for killing a judge because he yes. was well, a professional hitman. Well, He's a professional well, hitman. Yeah. He had... I was reading an article on him, and he had a... He literally would walk around with a fucking business card that said Hitman or Gun for Hire. And he was very, like, publicly a Hitman. He was That's really, really into it. Yeah. I had a very anti-Semitic Uber driver today who also gave me a card. He is a wedding singer. Ooh, wow. I swear <laughs> to God. And I have the card with me. Well, Charles spent his last days denying he was in Dallas that day. Unless, of course, he was too busy confessing to the murder of John F. Kennedy. Well, Whoa. so I did not realize that Woody Harrelson's dad was so cool. <laughs> now if you think that even a few of these guys were present in Dealey Plaza that day and I'm talking about this whole list of assassins then it probably follows that you believe that there were more than three shots taken in the successful attempt on the president's life the funny thing is at least one governmental investigation agrees it, Marcus would you say that is the funny thing <laughs> I, I <laughs> that is humorous <laughs> yes because this is this is the core belief if you believe that there was more than if there were more than three shots there's a conspiracy somebody else was there shooting right 
1975, Representative Henry Gonzalez introduced a bill calling for further investigation into the assassinations of JFK, RFK, and MLK. Jeez. This was known as the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And while they did report that the Warren Commission was mostly correct, they concluded that there were actually four shots that day, not three. Interesting. Using a previously undiscovered audio recording from a police dictabelt that just happened to be recording an open channel on a policeman's dispatch radio that was in the president's motorcade, they determined that three shots came from the book depository, while a fourth came from the grassy knoll. And of course, <laughs> the dictabelt is a great belt to use, especially if you're a young boy and you get unwanted boners. Uh, you can flip it up right into the dictabelt and it, it hides it so when you stand up in class, no one laughs at you. I do wish that they weren't sold by Jared Fogle, but I really appreciate what they brought to society. Oh, God. That man, have you seen, he has gotten very fat again. Prison has not been kind to Jared Fogle. No, no. At least However, the pressure's off. Yeah. For him to look, keep the weight off. Yeah, yeah it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. However, the accuracy of this report and their methods of arriving at this conclusion, the four shots conclusion, are, of course, highly debated. Some right. people say it doesn't. They did it all wrong. Some people say they did it absolutely right. So, but Marcus, nothing. everybody is right though. <laughs> Everybody's right about whatever they say is correct because that's how you know that it's correct because they said that it was correct. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. My my big wiggity view of this at this point with the amount of hours that we have spent forcing this shit into our brains is what if like Lee Harvey Oswald we, we have said it here on last podcast on the left that we believe that Lee Harvey Oswald took those shots yeah. we know that he was like that's why we did not cover all of the various methods that said Lee Harvey Oswald was completely innocent or that he was a double or he was fighting on the president's behalf which I think is hilarious but because we are we believe he took those shots I am starting to believe that perchance Yes, there was a plan in action to kill the president. Maybe, right? Who knows? But how is... I know this might be magical thinking. More magical thinking than ever before. But who knows? What if Lee Harvey Oswald rolled into Dealey Plaza to kill the Presidente? And they're also magically, straight up, it's obviously there's nothing to truly back this, they're, that they're, the plan to kill the president was also happening at the same time. That you had CIA operatives mixed with mafia people trying to kill the president at the same exact time that Lee Harvey Oswald was also there to kill the president because it literally was a big, fat turkey shoot. He was put down in a public str strip, slowly shown in front of all these assassins, and maybe it, the way that Lee Harvey Oswald forced gumped his way into so many different parts of history, maybe this was one last time where he arrived into the middle of the CIA trying to kill the president, but he was the one that did it. <laughs> hey, maybe, man. I mean, there is something magical when it comes to JFK. Again, look no further than Bob Dylan releasing a 17-minute song, first song in over a decade. Well, we're doing our JFK series? It's crazy. What's the odds of that? I don't think Here Bob Dylan is, is a fan and was inspired six weeks ago. I, I don't think, think that that's Bob true. Bob Dylan probably has some hard F words to say for anyone who listens to a podcast. <laughs> I would actually love to hear the Nixon tapes of Bob Dylan. I think they might shatter Mr. Tambourine Man for a lot of people. Hey, say anybody can make a podcast with a microphone, but no one ever has me. I got a lot of thoughts. I'm going to do one about baseball. <laughs> So now that we've gone through the crime scene, let's talk about what went on with the president's autopsy. 
Now, one of the biggest points of contention when it comes to the autopsy is what doctors at Parkland Hospital claimed to have seen when the president's body came in versus what was reported at the official autopsy done at Bethesda Naval Hospital. At Parkland, doctors thought that the wound on the president's neck looked like an entrance wound, Mm. suggesting the placement of a shooter on the grassy knoll or elsewhere, but definitely from the front and not the book depository. But at Bethesda, the doctors doing the autopsy, who had never done an autopsy before, by the way, definitively stated that it was an exit wound, which, of course, supports the theory that Lee Harvey Oswald fired the shot. Okay, if you're a professional and you're doing autopsies, Exit and inter, uh, and and, uh, and entrance wounds are pretty freaking different. Well, however, it must be said that doctors in Dallas did not examine the wound fully. They just eyeballed it and claims that they definitely knew that it was an entrance wound are erroneous. But isn't the entrance wound much smaller? Isn't it much smaller we- than the exit wound? Doesn't the exit wound kind of have more of an explosion type thing? It depends on the type of bullet. Full metal jacket bullet goes... Whoosh. Right through. Oh, and, oh, very smooth. Yes. Oh. And if you look at the wound on his neck on the published autopsy reports, they're saying that they 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 are different than what they saw. The put the ones that they showed that to the Warren Commission and to the public, they think that might have been after they had cut it open to examine it. Right. I'm not certain. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, tellingly, these doctors only started making the claim that it was definitely an entrance wound after they started getting attention for their statement that they thought. It was an entrance wound because that's what they first said. They said, I "I think it's an entrance wound. I I thought that it was an entrance wound. So this is more people who are not necessarily uh, used to being in the public eye having cameras thrown in their faces and microphones thrown at their mouths and be like, talk. Well, getting attention. Yeah. You know, and getting positive reinforcement for saying this shit. Right. But what's a little more difficult to mistake is that those doctors in Dallas also swore that the right rear of the president's skull had been blown out. But when it arrived at Bethesda Naval Hospital, the back of the president's head was intact, other than an entrance wound. And it said the man responsible for this was an embalmer named John Liggett. Liggett! <laughs> Love it. Yeah, John Liggett. They said he was the only, who was the fucker that could really get it done. They all blamed John Liggett. They said John Liggett had the tool. No, he had the tools. He had a gambling addiction. Uh-huh. And so he needed the money. So they easily had a pressure on him. They had a lever on him. Right. And then he went in and built a whole fake head to the back of JFK. He built this whole thing in the night and uh-huh. then went to his like gambling flop house with his family to hide until would, it was all blown over. But honestly, what I don't understand is why would someone with a gambling addiction need money? Because all you do <laughs> is make money when you gamble. So it seems strange to me in that way. I don't think he would need the cash. But I remember the guy talking about him in the, uh, the guy talking about John Liggett in The Men Who Killed Kennedy was like, and I'll tell you what, I knew John Liggett, and he's the type of guy where, like, you need, like, you need a face. You lost your face, he could build you a new face. <laughs> Zippity-doo, zippity-doo-dah, he could go, you need ears, he'd make you some ears, he could fucking, he'd make a nose. I watched him make a nose out of, out of a bunch of, literally, it was a bunch of donuts. he he pile them all together, and that was the most incredible. I thought that nose was going to be sniffing when he was done <laughs> Well, there was also something fishy about how the president's body arrived in Washington, D.C. When the corpse left Dallas, it was wrapped in cloth in a bronze casket so large the handles had to be broken off in order to fit it through the door of Air Force One. Pretty distinct casket. But when the body was wheeled into Bethesda Naval Hospital for the autopsy, it was in a body bag 
and a gray metal casket. What's the deal with the switcheroo? I don't know, What's Mr. Sun. What is the switcheroo? <laughs> Honestly, what is the deal with the switcheroo? <laughs> we don't know. Is it possible that the casket that they had put him in at first was just covered in his brains? Uh, and I, they were just like, well, let's clean it up? Or I mean, or maybe it was too big and they were like, we want to get it into the hospital, so let's put him in a smaller one? We don't know. Don't know. That these are the points where conspiracy is created. I see. But there were far more dubious goings on when it came to the autopsy. And here's where we finally get to what we think happened. Yay! From here on out. I'm being totally serious in what I'm saying. And while I'm not telling you that this is definitely what happened, I am telling you that this is absolutely the theory that I subscribe to. Okay. And that's how we got you fucking legally. <laughs> you try to tell us we're, saying, we're not saying it, it is, but we're saying it's something that we think. Yeah, you guys you guys called the last podcast lawyers that don't exist <laughs> and, and made sure that this is all in the up and up. No, I'm. I have a lawyer. <laughs> his name is. Uh, his name is uh, uh, Oscar Del Pinto. <laughs> um, he's incredible, and I tell you what, he can come three feet. <laughs> really, that's the craziest, the craziest load I've ever seen. That's I love our lawyer. Yeah, it seems like it might just be you. Now, as far as all the conspiracy theories go when it comes to the murder of the president, the aspect of the cover-up itself has always been the part that intrigued me the most, because there's more evidence for a cover-up than for anything else. And as we know from American history, particularly 20th century American history, the biggest government scandals have not been the crimes themselves, but rather the cover-ups. Mm -hmm. And this might be another one of those cases. For me, the conspiracy theory that holds the most water is the one that looked at the death of the president from the perspective of a cold case murder. And the seeds for that theory came from a ballistics expert in Baltimore named Howard Donahue. Honestly, if you're going to be a ballistics expert, Baltimore's a great place to be. Yeah. There is a lot of bullet holes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you, if you just have to carry a block of gel around <laughs> and catch a couple <laughs> just, to, to really train yourself. Love Baltimore. Love Baltimore. Love it. See, Howard Donahue had participated in a firearms exhibition of sorts for CBS News in 1967 to see if it was possible for Oswald to fire three shots and hit a moving target in 5.6 seconds, which was the time the Warren Report said it took Oswald to kill the president. Come on and kill a president! <laughs> I do. I am happy that this has um, awoken your love for musical theater once again. I just love that song. There's so many good songs in it. Well, that's the thing, is that you know, that was one of the Warren Commission's many mistakes. And this is also another place where conspiracy was born. It was not 5.6 seconds that Oswald took between shots one and shots three, because that's ridiculous. It was twice that. It was 11.2 seconds. How did they mess that up so bad? I God, guess they were just so I think they I, were lazy. I, I think so much of this stuff comes from human laziness. Yeah, a lot it's, of it I does. don't know if it's uh, you know what? I would say it's not I'm not even I'm not going to give them the credit of saying laziness. I think it's the I think it's the opposite. I think it's just they wanted it to be done. Well, they that's wanted, lazy. Though. Yeah, that's that's it what is, it is. Get it get it you, fast I, and right. Laziness is is not the crime here. To me, it it is a fucking cover up. It's right. literally a for us to really so purposeful pull this yeah. apart. 
to really pull this apart is going to have us to we're going to have to look at things that we're not going to want to look at and have to talk to people that we're not going to want to talk to and reveal things that are secret and we know are secret right but even with just the 5.6 seconds howard donahue was up to the challenge he was a gunsmith he owned a gun shop and he acted as an expert witness in court cases many times over testifying in the field of ballistics i also killed three of my wives (laughs) wow he's a pro (laughs) in other words donahue knew his shit when it came to guns and out of all the people CBS asked to replicate Oswald's supposed feat, Donahue was the only one who pulled it off. Although it did take him three times to do it. Okay. Why didn't they just fucking arrest him afterwards? <laughs> Being like, yeah, and that's it, sir, you are guilty of murdering the president. I'm a reenactor! I'm a I'm reenactor, a re-enactor. Damn it! So after the appearance on CBS, Donahue was asked by a popular men's magazine called True to write an article supporting the Warren Commission's findings from a ballistics perspective. We were going to call it jizz, <laughs> but we went with True. Now Donahue agreed, but as he began to study the Warren report, he found that the ballistics didn't make sense specifically when it came to the trajectory of shot number three and how that same bullet performed in delivering the fatal wound. Now, shot two, the one that hit Kennedy and Connolly, that made sense. Lee Harvey Oswald was using full metal jacket bullets, and because of the jump seats we talked about in episode four, that bullet was perfectly capable of performing the way it did. But this is actually, they wanted to push what the Warren Commission said, right? Because didn't they say that the first shot was the one that went through Kennedy into Connolly? The second shot missed, and then the, sh- the third shot hit him in the head. Yep. Well, they are now saying that there was an error, that the first shot shot, and they all heard it and reacted to it, and that was the one that missed. Oh, And the okay. second shot was the one that went through Kennedy into Connolly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that is accepted fact now like the warren report yeah they got that wrong first shot missed ricocheted uh, like it went through it ricocheted off of the uh pavement hit that one guy in the cheek uh and then the second one hit Connolly, and and then the third one killed kennedy pretty big error Mm Hmm. yeah but the third bullet behaved in a completely different manner than the second bullet yeah we're gonna have to uh mrs bullet we're gonna have to put your kid on adhd medication (laughs) Uh, it is just it's erratic it doesn't like to learn math well the third bullet did not pass through the skull like it should have but instead exploded upon impact in other words you had two different types of bullets Mm. Mm. the second type of bullet the one that hit the president's head was a frangible bullet which was designed to shatter upon impact and cause as much fatal damage as possible, as exposed to a full metal jacket bullet, which is only supposed to wound. Oh, so a full metal jacket bullet is actually supposed to be, I guess, safer, for lack of a better it's, term. It is, it is a Geneva Convention thing where oh, it's supposed... Oh, I always thought they were more aggressive. No, less aggressive. They're, oh, they're, okay. A full metal jacket bullet is supposed to wound a soldier and take him off the field. You, They go back home. They so it's don't, a cleaner shot. It's a much cleaner oh, shot. Okay. That's why that second bullet was able to pass through Kennedy and go into Connolly, because it's designed to do that. Okay. Furthermore... When Donahue looked at the trajectory of the bullet, he found that it had exited at the wrong place if the shot came from the book depository. If the shot came from up there, the bullet would have exited at Kennedy's upper left forehead, not the back right of his skull. So Donahue surmised that the first two shots came from Lee Harvey Oswald. 
but the third shot came from somewhere else. But if that's true, then why were there three spent shells in Oswald's sniper's nest? Well, the interesting thing about that is that one of those shell casings was bent, and it was found in a completely different spot than the other two. This means that the third shell could have been used as a chamber plug. A chamber plug is a spent shell that's kept in the chamber to prevent moisture and grit from building up and causing a jam. And someone who was as close to their rifle as Oswald was would have probably used a chamber plug. Huh. And considering how far away that shell was found from the other two, it's highly plausible that Oswald ejected this shell prior to taking his spot at his sniper's perch in preparation for the attempt and left it where it lay. And when you entertain the idea that Oswald only fired two shots... It's possible that his claim of being a patsy might have had just the slightest ring of truth. Damn. If it is, in fact, true that he did not take the fatal shot. Because maybe he couldn't even see that he shot the president. Maybe. But maybe you literally, it's happening so fast. And right. you pop, pop. You are now, you are frightened. You've done the thing. You've built up to this passion point. You've expended. You saw. You shot the things. All of a sudden, oh fuck! What have I done? Right. What have I done? I gotta fucking. I can't believe I did it. I'm gonna try and fucking get out of here. But also, but as you shot, and you're like, oh my god, what did I do? And then you, from the book depository, see his brains just explode. <laughs> you're like, wow, I am good. I didn't even shoot. Pat, pat on the patsy's back. So Donahue started looking into just where, from a scientific point of view, that shot had come from. Using information given to him by Maryland's chief medical examiner, he examined the president's head wound and came to a single conclusion. Using hard science, he surmised that the fatal shot to John F. Kennedy could only have come from the left rear seat of the Secret Service follow-up car that was driving behind the presidential limousine. Oh, shit. Whoa. No. no. Damn. No, no, you're thinking. You're thinking that this is just another conspiracy theory that blames the CIA who were working in conjunction with the Secret Service to take down the president. I'm thinking this is just another conspiracy theory that blames the CIA who are working in conjunction with the federal government to take down the president. I'm actually thinking about Chinese takeout. I'm really very hungry. (laughs) But that's not what I'm saying at all. Hmm. The evidence does not point towards a vast government conspiracy, at least not in the action of killing the president. Instead... It suggests the possibility that the tragedy of November 22nd, 1963, was nothing more nefarious than a workplace accident. The ultimate whoopsie-doo. <laughs> what? In the- so you tell me that sir- the Secret Service has one of those things that factories have where it's like zero days until it does. And they're like, 198 days is since we've killed a president. Isn't that yeah, nice? And then they just flip it to zero. Oh, ah, damn, damn it. it. There's a ton of evidence behind this, and I'm going to go through almost all of it. There's Hell actually yeah. so much evidence that we do not have time to go into every single bit of evidence here. We can cover a little bit more on the Relaxed Fit episode that we'll be doing at some point, so this the story will continue, I'm sure. Also, if you watch a documentary called The Smoking Gun, that has a lot of good information on this story. Now, you're probably wondering that if this is true, then why aren't there any witnesses to something so obvious as the Secret Service agent firing the shot that kills the president? But there were witnesses. At least one witness told the Dallas police in a statement given immediately after the shooting that he saw a flash of pink 
come from the Secret Service car, which could have been a muzzle flash from firing the rifle. Yes. And they also, you remember, shots were already coming from the book depository. So everybody was in a fucking panic. Right. And because of the nature of Dealey Plaza, the shots were echoing around the entire triangle. So it was, who knows what was happening directly in the moment of the president's death. There was another witness who said that after the first two shots, she was under the impression that the Secret Service was firing back at the shooter because she thought she heard and saw a shot from the Secret Service car. And again, these statements were given directly after the shooting, as opposed to other on-the-ground witness statements that were given years later after those witnesses had time to invent a story and convince themselves it was true. Right. Not saying those people are lying, but when it comes to eyewitness testimony, the further you get from the event, the more likely that testimony is going to be useless. Absolutely. But this theory has something even better than eyewitness testimony, which, like I said, can be highly unreliable. This theory has smell. Yeah. This is a smelly one, man. (laughs) This is a smell smell testimony. There were 11 witnesses in the motorcade who reported the smell of gunpowder at street level, including Senator Ralph Yarborough, who's right up there with Ann Richards when it comes to trusted Texas politicians. Yarborough's a good man. Okay, I'm not gonna. I didn't I say, anything. say anything wrong. I didn't even make fun of his name. I didn't. I don't care that he's named Ralph, which is, a, which is also a euphemism for vomit. I don't care. I don't care. I remember. I like Ed Koch. Yeah, he, sure. He, he lost his seat in refusing to participate in the Southern strategy. Ralph Yarborough's a good man. I have never said anything <laughs> against him. <laughs> Now, you might say that these people were just smelling the shots from the depository, but on that day, the wind was blowing 15 miles an hour away from the limo, meaning the smell could not have traveled toward the limo from the depository. In fact, one cop gave testimony that he was standing on the railway bridge and smelled gunpowder wafting up from the motorcade as they were speeding below on their way to Parkland Hospital. You can just see a redneck like Pepe Le Pew just floating towards the gunpowder. (laughs) Madly in love. I don't believe every series of witnesses and every single time we do one of these, any sort of show of ours we talk about it but of all of the human beings that would know about guns it seems that the populace of texas yeah, <laughs> would know more as a general group about guns and gunpowder and gunpowder smell than any other like you know my theater troupe from florida state <laughs> university we were not you wouldn't want to come to us and ask us about ballistics i don't even necessarily like guns that much and you say the word gunpowder and i can smell it like involuntarily, I can right. absolutely say it is a, a warm metallic smell uh, that, well, it, that it is, smells great. That is because when a child is born in Texas, usually a doctor will slap the tushy to make sure they can cry. But in Texas, they shoot a gun right next to their ear. <laughs> and then if the baby doesn't cry, it's a Texan. Is it true for in Texas to get woman uh, to get milk from the woman? You have to shoot off the tip of their nipples. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be in Texas for the book tour in August, so uh, I guess we can find out there as we're getting our asses kicked. Well, the, I mean, the point is that gunpowder is a strong, distinct odor, you know, and, right, this, and this motorcade was chock full of Texans with quite a bit of firearm experience. Right. I mean, the, the smell of gunpowder is unmistakable. Nothing smells like gunpowder. Furthermore, there's a photograph which very clearly shows a Secret Service agent in the back left seat of 
standing up in the limo holding an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. Damn. And 11 witnesses said they saw the agent swinging that rifle around in a near panic. This man is standing in the exact spot that Donahue said the bullet had to come from. They pr- it's a clear photograph. They probably shouldn't have asked Leatherface to be a Secret Service agent <laughs> as he's just swinging his gun around like a maniac in the middle of the street. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of the how, let's explore the reasons why the Secret Service fucked up this badly. To understand that, you've got to understand just how much the Secret Service had been working that year. JFK was a president on the move, and the average Secret Service agent logged about 80 overtime hours each month working for President Kennedy. In fact, during the Texas trip, they'd been working double shifts for three days straight. So, to blow off some steam, and this is a fact on record, a number of Secret Service agents went out and got trashed in Dallas on November 21st, hopping from strip club to strip club to strip club. All this the night before the assassination. When you watch a smoking gun, they all say like, and how can you believe that armed officers of the Secret Service would dare go to drink the night before such an important parade? And in my mind... How many, think about how many times we've arrived in a, sh- in a city the night before we're supposed to do a show, like an important show, and have gotten fucking shithouse hammered <laughs> the night before the show, only to basically ruin the, the show the next day. And we did it several times. And yes, we're not Secret Service agents, but we're <laughs> red-blooded men that need booze, and we need to, sometimes you gotta blow off steep. Sometimes it's a part of your journey as an artist and as a man. Sure. You have to get debilitatingly hungover before something incredibly important. <laughs> well, we have said this multiple times. I believe you have said it, Henry, that you feel as if you perform better hungover sometimes. You sure. still got to do your job. Yeah. Got to. You still got to do the job. I mean, I don't know if that's an excuse. This is not conjecture. This is not speculation. This is fact. This is what happened. The senior agents put JFK to bed at midnight, left the junior agents in charge of guarding the president, and went out bar hopping until 5 a.m., at which time they went back to their rooms to spend two hours sobering up for a 7 a.m. start time. But, you know, if you fall asleep, even for 10 minutes, you wake up sober. <laughs> yes, as I've heard. It's, it immediately resets. And this is also 1963, where the only, like, you are, as long as you do one swift wash of your face with cold water, cup of coffee, you're sober now. Yeah. Legally, you can drive. Yeah. yeah. But those men aren't as important to this story. The main agent here is one of the men who stayed behind that night. Agent George Hickey had joined the Secret Service just four months previous, and his primary role was attached to the garage. Yeah, so if you guys need, like, sort of your cars vacuumed out, or (laughs) you guys want some fresheners, I got some good ones here, I got peppermint stuff. (laughs) He was the nerd, he wasn't invited out to go get fucked up with everybody. That's too bad. He wasn't the nerd, he was just the new guy. You know, yeah. like he, he was a junior guy. Well, what Hickey's job was, he drove the president around. He polished the car. He checked the oil in the water. He did all the daily maintenance that needed to be done in order to get the president safely from location to location. Very important job. Yeah. That's what I do. If he needs a boat, 
I talk to the fish. If he needs a hot air balloon, I find the balloon. It's easy to do. The hard parts of the basket to get everybody in it, that's really difficult. So, yeah, I mean, I got my work cut out for me, I guess. You're great at your job, Mr. Hickey. Yeah, I'm really trying. I really feel I just hope that the Secret Service put their trust in me and I can I can really show them that it's worth it. And I'm, I can stand up to it. <laughs> Well, since George Hickey had not gone out drinking on November 21st, he gotten a good night's sleep, it was decided that he was the best person to carry the newly issued AR-15 on November 22nd. Because even uh, though he was washing windshields the day before, he was still a Secret Service agent. Do you think but, maybe we could start me with a bow and arrow? Because <laughs> um, this is like this is a lot. Honestly, this, is. this is quite a bit. I feel a lot of responsibility. You feel a lot of pressure with this. AR-15 was a brand new gun at that time. Wow. It, it was yeah. not something that was standard issue. It wasn't like now where you know your neighbor has four AR-15s. Right. Like, this was a fucking. This is brand new shit. I could use a whip. Or something. I mean, <laughs> even honestly, I prefer like a megaphone or something. And I can tell people to be safe and I could did say, hey, don't shoot the president with it. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing was that even though he was a Secret Service agent, you know, he was still new at the job. And he right. was extremely nervous to suddenly be in such a key position because everyone, especially the Secret Service, knew that Dallas was a highly dangerous place for the president. Mm. Now, according to the statement Hickey gave, he stood up and cocked the rifle after the third shot and held that position without firing his weapon until the motorcade reached Parkland Hospital. I wouldn't even think of shooting my weapon. <laughs> I, it was the opposite. I put, a, I put a cork in the end of it to make sure it wouldn't shoot because I wanted everybody to be safe. Really? <laughs> but witnesses and other Secret Service agents told a different story. According to another agent, the rifle was quote-unquote ready to go, meaning it was cocked and loaded with the safety on for the whole trip. Safety off? On. So the safety was on. The safety was on. Safety but was on. it was cocked and loaded. George Hickey said he stood up and cocked and loaded the gun himself, but another Secret Service agent said that fucker was already cocked and loaded See, with the safety the, on. That's the thing about people who are super hungover. They cannot tell a lie. They are <laughs> true. way too... They're in too much pain. They are just... I mean, it makes them maybe sound a little angry and mean. The, uh, the most honest people in the world are people who only are on an hour and a half of sleep and yeah. 19 bourbons and you're just... <laughs> scraping stripper stuff off of you, like all the residue off of you that, in that morning. Yeah. Yeah. Furthermore, 11 witnesses saw a Secret Service agent holding the rifle before the third shot. And some of the witnesses said they saw the Secret Service agent stand up with the rifle and fall back down on the seat almost immediately. Oh my god, he did not Mr. Magoo this. Whoa, 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 no, Hickey, you, you done it again. Wow. <laughs> oh no. This means that George Hickey could have heard the first shot, grabbed the rifle, stood up, and taken the safety off in order to fire back. But when the car lurched forward after the second shot, Hickey could have fallen back and accidentally pulled the trigger, killing the president in the process. He Jerry lewis this thing? The ballistics, the trajectory, credible witness statements, 
they all point towards this possibility. Oh, no, man. I'm going to be in a heck of a lot of trouble. (laughs) It is interesting, Mr. Hickey. If this was a slapstick comedy, it would be kind of funny, but it's not. I I really ruined everything, huh, didn't I? (laughs) Well, it's not great. You're supposed to protect the president, and it seems from our documentation, you shot him in the head. (laughs) Uh... He was cheating. He was cheating. He was cheating on his wife, and now it's a break of a vow. All jokes aside here, remember, Donahue said, based on ballistics alone, in 1977, that the shot could have only come from the back left seat of the Secret Service limo. Damn. That person was John Hickey. That was the only guy holding a rifle in that limo. There are pictures showing him holding the rifle in that limo, in that seat. And if this tells you anything, the AR-15, by the Secret Service's own admission, was withdrawn from service immediately following that day in Dallas. Wow. Only to be brought back into service by every white supremacist in the country. (laughs) Well, they saw how good it was at killing a president. Yeah, I guess so. But the evidence doesn't stop with Dealey Plaza. Now, we get to the cover-up. Now, the first fishy thing when it came to the Secret Service's behavior was what they did in Dallas with the president's body. Now, as we said in episode four, it's assumed that LBJ was the one who wanted the president's autopsy to be done in Washington, D.C. so he could get to the business of being president Mm -hmm. because he couldn't be seen to leave Jackie Kennedy behind. Because remember, it's Texas law that an autopsy has to be done. If a murder happens in Texas, the autopsy has to be done in Texas. But... It's also possible that the Secret Service themselves, along with LBJ, very much did not want an independent body to examine the wounds on the president's head, lest they arrive at embarrassing conclusions. Then you had the complete clusterfuck of the autopsy in Washington, D.C. There were at least... 30 people present in the room. Representatives from the Army, the Navy, the FBI, technicians, pathologists, and of course, the Secret Service all getting in each other's way. The way they described the scene at the autopsy room was like a, a Marx Brothers movie, where yeah. it was them. Everyone was like, ah, ah, <laughs> like everyone was like fighting, and the other guys were like, "Get back, get back! This is the president's brain." Aww. But what was fishiest about the autopsy was the directives given to the X-ray technician in charge of doing X-rays on the president's brain. Okay. And this technician was in a unique position to see just what types of bullet fragments were present. And he indeed saw that the head was full of exploded bullet fragments. But he was bluntly told by his superior to keep his mouth shut about the observation. And even more damning Mm. was what the Secret Service asked him to do. They and the technician's superior instructed this technician to manufacture an X-ray that would obscure the detection of a frangible bullet and make it appear as if the fragments present in the president's skull came from a full metal jacket bullet. This technician said that this order came after his superior had returned from a briefing at the White House. Now, although you might think this comes from a story told to a conspiracy author, you'd be wrong. Hmm. Yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> so, hey, how does that feel? Also, it's Armalite. <laughs> <laughs> this testimony was given under oath in 1995 to members of Congress after they passed the JFK Records Act and wanted further clarification on the autopsy report, which was, by all accounts, a fucking mess. Damn. To make it very clear 
Howard Donahue did not have this information when he put forth this theory. And this information only strengthened his original observation that the president was shot with a frangible bullet. And a frangible bullet was the type of bullets that were in the Secret Serviceman's gun. Oh, man, that's not good. None of this is good. None of this is going to be good for Hickey as well. Oh, oh Hickey, God. you've done it again. And there is just no getting out of this. I really stepped my foot in it. Huh? You really did, Mr. Hickey. And by the yeah. way, the Secret Service somehow managed to destroy all of their records concerning the JFK assassination just a week before their subpoena came from Congress during that 1995 investigation. Coincidence? That actually was merited. That, I don't think that is a coincidence. I think they're they're channeling Seth Rollins. They're burning it down. That is insane. Furthermore, two other technicians told this same investigative body that they took 40 rolls of film in the autopsy room, but those rolls were confiscated by head Secret Service agent Roy Kellerman, and that claim is backed up by FBI record. Damn. These photos, not surprisingly, never been seen. No fucking clue what's on them. Oh, my God. You know one guy just took a picture of JFK's dick for, like, 40 Of course. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I bet you there was a couple in one of the surgeon's dick, and they just were. They just knew they were very, very embarrassing. <laughs> my God. So 40, real, 40 films, 40, 40 rolls, rolls of, of film. film destroying the evidence a week before the subpoena mm -hmm. and the bullet. But what's most disturbing of all is the matter of the president's brain. Brains! Brains! <laughs> Fact is, JFK's brain is missing. Wait, what? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> they lost the, you lost the brain? Well, where what? is it? I, okay, I have president's brain here in uh -huh. a little barrel. I hear right here waiting for it, and then I turn around. Oh, it's going. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mr. Dinkle, I don't know why You're they put you in charge of the brain, but you seem to have something on the side of your mouth. Did you did you eat the brain, Mr. Dinkle? Guilty is George. <laughs> it just looks so delicious there, sitting there all wiggly like a bunch of jello, and I was like, mm, uh -huh. yum, yum, yum. <laughs> you know, I guess... I guess I really did bad his will, huh? You did. Yeah, you ate a lot oh. of evidence. Very important evidence. Yeah, I guess so. It tasted bad. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> the president's brain was not buried with the president. Where the hell is the... What did they do with the brain? I it, mean, I, I guess you just throw it away. I, no, it disappeared after the autopsy. And to this day, its location is a complete and total mystery. Some say RFK took it. Some say it went somewhere in storage. Truth is... No fucking clue. Oh, no, no idea. That, and that brain would answer so many fucking questions. That episode of Storage Wars is going to be very exciting. <laughs> there is even some people that say that his brain was taken in order to create a uh, living cybernetic clone of him. Where his brain <laughs> operates, this is true, where his brain operates ahead of him like Krang. Yeah, and then they can ask it questions. This is in the secret space program storyline of all this that is just might be too stupid to include <laughs> where JFK saw Nazi UFOs in the 1950s right. and he, when he was a senator and that he helped with Operation Paperclip bring people over but from the Nazi the side. But, they said, but the, the, he knew that the Nazis were collaborating with the Greys back then and that's reason why the Secret Service guy shot him in the back of the fucking head because he was just about to disclose the fucking secret space program. He knew he got too deep. And then they fucking kill him for it. Yeah, I do think this is probably the way to end. We got to end the series um, because Henry's about to go through a divorce. Um, but no, no, there's his, more to go. Oh, I know that. But his brain is not intact. 
No, it's it's what, it's, what was left of the brain. It's blown right. I mean, it's, it's what was destroyed. left of the brain. Well, yeah, well, it's not completely and totally destroyed. Half of it's gone, and you would have the bone, and you would have the bullet fragments. You'd have the bullet fragments. Oh, we would be gosh. full of those bullet fragments, and it's just, but it's just fucking gone. Okay. Also, Joshua Tink Thompson talks about the brain mist and his little fucking cool ass little TED talk he did, but it's called Joshua Tink Thompson, private investigator. It talks about the brain mist coming out of his fucking head, and how you could tell that was the the that's why the shots were super suspicious because the. Brain Brain mist got all over the cops behind the JFK car, and the reason why they think what happened is that it exploded. His brain literally exploded because the wind was coming towards the president's car. That it wafted what was left of his vaporized brains all over the detail. Well, that's a rough day at the office. That's when you want those glasses that have the little window wipers on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. What's even more interesting is that the Warren Commission seemed completely uninterested in investigating either the Secret Service theory or the ensuing cover-up, and in fact seemed to purposefully steer the investigation away from the possibility. They didn't question the witness who saw the pink flash. They didn't question the witness who saw the agents firing back after the second shot, and they did not inquire after the 40 rolls of film taken in the autopsy room or where the fuck the president's brain was. Damn. Marcus, they didn't want to be nosy. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's another job. Yeah. Furthermore, out of all the people in the 12 cars behind the president's limo in the motorcade that were facing the president's limo when the president was shot, only six people out of all of the people in the motorcade were called as witnesses. And out of those six... Four smelled gunpowder on street level. And three smelled whiskey on their mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that Secret Service man smell like daddy? <laughs> <laughs> now, it's obvious here, at least to me, that there was definitely some sort of cover-up. But the reason behind this cover-up was not to hide the government's involvement in the murder. Rather, it was to hide the insane embarrassment of a Secret Service agent accidentally killing the person they were charged to protect. It really is the uh, CIA version or the Secret Service version of scoring a touchdown in the wrong end zone. <laughs> you don't want in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl <laughs> like, to, lose to lose the, lose the game. game. <laughs> yes, it's a big deal. And really, I can understand the impulse. A fuck-up of this magnitude would have been a devastating blow in a very delicate period in the Cold War. Because, as we said in the first episode, the Cold War was largely a war of optics. If it got out that America accidentally killed its own president, then that would have become the Soviet Union's go-to when talking about the superiority of the Soviet Union, which would have made diplomacy with other countries when it came to arguing from the point of American superiority highly fucking difficult. So, literally, the Secret Service was like Billy Madison in that bit where he's like, they're all going to laugh at you. They literally were just like, Fidel is going to make fun of us forever. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. The Soviet Union just being like, so you want those, uh, yes, we can move the missiles, we could wait a second, I'm just getting a report, and then, holy fucking shit. <laughs> this is the funniest single thing I have read on the face of the planet. I, I am just... I'm going to help them cover this up because this is too fucking. I want to be the only one who knows about this. God. I mean, you didn't think of that as like, oh, yes, do you want capitalism? Well, if you want your president to be shot in the fucking head by his own people, I guess you can go for capitalism. But, you know, if not. <laughs> it really is a fucking. It's a PR nightmare. 
for the United States that lasts forever. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I would assume that's the end of the Secret Service. We'd probably have a different version of the Secret Service called, I don't know, we won't, we, the we don't kill the president guys. <laughs> and after all, they already had Lee Harvey Oswald. Even if he didn't fire... Good the, enough, right? They're just like, good enough. Even if he didn't fire the fatal shot, he was still responsible for the president's death from a manslaughter point of view. Sure, so, I mean, yeah. So they, they probably figured not any harm in placing all the blame on the lone gunman. Yeah, just give it all to him. Who, who gives a shit? We already, he was already there. He was already he there. He was already there. He had bought the gun. He was all positioned, and he was ready to go. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like a dude who had hubba bubba and blew a bubble and it popped in his mouth this guy had a hair trigger this this secret security guy i mean he just he freaked out oh my he freaked out and freaked out that's crazy yeah that's one way to put it but there was one person the government didn't account for jack ruby they never think of Sparky Rubenstein. <laughs> oh. When Jack Ruby killed Oswald, it kicked off a mystery and a curiosity that will never be fully resolved. Because at that moment, at the moment of Lee Harvey Oswald's assassination, the JFK assassination became a great fucking story. Yeah. The sad reality is that there are very few agreed upon facts anymore when it comes to the assassination of John F. Kennedy outside of the very basic certainties of location and cause of death. And some people will even argue about that. Instead, we have theories and opinions. In fact, at this point, it almost doesn't matter which one of us is right, because after years of theorizing and arguing on one side and destroying records and covering up facts on the other, we will never have a hard truth. And unfortunately, Howard Donahue, the father of the Secret Service theory, discovered this sad reality again and again. He released his findings in 1977 in the Sunday edition of the Baltimore Sun, totally confident that he was about to blow the lid off the whole goddamn thing. Instead, the theory appeared and vanished. He then released a book in 1992 with author Bonner Menninger called Mortal Error, and he did the rounds on the media. Thinking that finally this theory is going to get the attention it deserves. Yeah. He was on Good Morning America saying, God damn it, it's all so simple. Why won't anyone listen to me? Well, and if you're <laughs> a producer of Good Morning America, I do have to question your casting because it's like, Good Morning America, today's guest, the Secret Service shot the president. <laughs> well, maybe we could have done this for an average afternoon show. And now Al Roker is going to talk about how he's it's a dog's birthday today. <laughs> Nancy is a thousand years old today. Isn't that sweet? The Secret Service shot the president. Well, we're blah, done with blah, that segment blah. now. Another so. unimport- unimportant things that will be covered later on today in the episode. <laughs> yep. The response came and went with little more than a shrug nationwide. Then, in 2014, a documentary called The Smoking Gun, featuring an Australian cold case detective named Colin McLaren, was released, and it came and went without fanfare, and in some cases was even derided without reason by the media. Just for fun. They're always complicit. Each book that is released, each documentary, each new bit of information, each testimony, each scientific advance in ballistics, every single fucking one of them only strengthens Howard Donahue's original claim that he made in 1977. In fact, this is one of the few JFK conspiracy theories that actually becomes more true the more truth comes out. I thought that it was uh, something to do with the Greys. Henry was saying aliens. He knew about the Nazi UFOs and he killed them to shut them up. So the question here... 
Why is this theory not more widely accepted? Oh, that's a good one. Why are most of you hearing it just now for the first time? Well, I got my answer to this question during a conversation I had with a friend a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Laid the whole thing out, expecting to blow his fucking mind, and he's primed for all this shit. Is he your communist friend? No. Okay. But after telling him, he said, huh. Huh. No, uh, yeah, great. Yeah. Well, and you're like, reaction, and you're just though, standing what? there. And I told my wife about it, naked and yelling while I waited for the shower to heat up. And she said, huh. Well, maybe you should pay your heat bill, but. Um, <laughs> I, I, it just takes a while for the shower to heat up. It's an old building. They just don't take you seriously, Marcus, which is why you need to kill these people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think the, the thing is, huh, is the only, we have no power. We have no power over this. So if you even entertain it, all it will do is drive you nuts. Huh? Is the ultimate safety. Where it's just like, huh? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Cool. Well, that's all the reaction this theory usually gets, despite all the evidence. Because no, I've seen people, when you tell them about the fucking CIA and you tell them about like, oh man, fucking badge man right here. Like they'd be like, holy shit, dude. Like that's fucking awesome. That's because an accident isn't sexy an accident does not make sense in a story that we're all trained to accept is a grand narrative full of villains and shadowy figures this theory does not have the air of mystery that a hit job perpetrated by the chicago mafia because jfk had sex with the wrong woman does right no nor is it coupled with the rage that comes from thinking that this is all a cia conspiracy coup that keeps us all from living in a better world than the one we have to fucking deal with now Mm -hmm. instead This is a theory of the kind of uncaring, universal chaos that we all have to face every day of our lives. And maybe it's difficult for us to accept that a man of John F. Kennedy's stature is just as vulnerable to a stupid accident as you or me. It's a little bit easier to accept once you realize he loved vanilla and peach ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) But no matter what the reason was that prevented this theory from taking off, Howard Donahue still died in relative obscurity, having made only the smallest ripple in the vast world of JFK conspiracy theory. Wow. There it is, folks. That is awesome. This is a lot. It's a lot to it's a lot to take in. Woo. I understand. This is a thick one, man. And I, you know, who knows? Uh, my my jury is still vaguely out, only just because. Again, I am I am of the same mind that you do want it, and I find myself guilty of the of the that same thought process as that you want it to be more dramatic. You want it to be more interesting and more dark and convoluted because right. of how important this moment ended up being to all of history but sometimes it's really just about the fact that life just sometimes takes a left turn sometimes you just get fucking kicked in the nuts and there ain't no reason why except for the fact that it was your time to get kicked in the nuts it's pure chaos the world is organized chaos i think this is probably the scariest conclusion that one could come up with <laughs> truly it is it's no, just it's like a, it is a terrifying oh, oh it's it's butter hands it's a terrifying to, thing to accept it is so yes indeed all right there's five parts on j six parts, six parts. oh my yeah, god i've six. lost track that six parts on jfk higher uh hunks moving junk there's a lot to unpack here <laughs> uh go uh, thank you all so much for listening to this series uh great work guys so oh, much information uh re-listen to these episodes because uh, this is really fascinating stuff and thank you all so much for your support we will be on to 
lighter subjects in uh, in the very near future, and then back to the blood <laughs> as back time blood. goes on as always. I'm excited for blood. We have some we have some fun alien shit coming your way. We have some uh, some heavy hitters about to come, yeah. especially now with the the debut of the book in April on April seventh. Uh, we were gonna we had a lot of shit planned. So next week, what we were going to do for you guys, we're gonna do a lax of it next week because we are changing up our plans because we had a basically we had a, a, a whole thing set for April that is now not happening so what we are doing is rejiggering and repositioning and then we're gonna be back with more fucking aliens serial killers and fucking general weird shit very excited for this summer because we're gonna have a lot of time (laughs) now to really get into some weird shit absolutely everything you've come to love from the last podcast on the left we will be giving you as always also August we are on the road in August we cannot wait to see everyone there we're gonna have specific dates coming out for you in extremely short amount of time so we will get that to you obviously we don't uh, we got a lot of time until august so mm-hmm. but we will get that out to you as soon as we possibly can uh thank you all so much for everyone who has pre-ordered the book it's doing like really really well and that makes me very proud specifically of you mr parks thank you very much um because you just did such a great job that is your first book and you are you are a a talent oh, those you. big fingers of yours caressing that keyboard <laughs> it's a thing of beauty um so thank you all so much for supporting every show here on the last podcast network uh we also have the lpn show which will be coming out fairly soon uh-huh. and speaking of marcus's talents uh-huh. i'm gonna say it so it happens marcus is going to be creating the intro music oh so yeah get ready for yep. some synth and <laughs> if anyone can get past the intro music <laughs> I think we're going to have a high, high retention rate. Uh, we're going to see how far my Moog's glide can go on this one. <laughs> I'm excited to see. <laughs> Definitely. Um, also, uh, Henry, congratulations on your wonderful guest role in Superstore. You did a great yeah, job. I and made it. You did I made make it to the it, final and, cut. And you did wonderful. So Thank uh, you so much. Also, our new merch store. Yes. Is now live. It's alive. Lastpodcastmerch.com. I want you to go. Feel free to peruse our goods. Yes. And anything you purchase, 6.66% is going to go to the charity One Fair Wage. Yay. Where we are, we're trying to do our best to give back to people that are getting hit hardest by COVID-19, which yep. is the people that are whose jobs just got fucking deleted uh, over the last couple of months. So yep. if you support us, you help support them. And, and um, honestly, the, the type of positive outreach we've had from fans over the last month or so, especially yep. with what's going on with coronavirus, has been so great it's been it's been very overwhelming and we are you've been there for us and now we're doing our job to fucking just keep pumping out the bullshit the yelling and the screaming Pump it out. Pump it out. If you want to <laughs> if you want to catch up on all things celebrity, page seven, pop history, politics, abling its top hat, movies, movie signs with the mad, uh, nerd culture, wizard and the bruiser. I think we've uh, wrestling kind of fun. And of course, music. That would be no dogs in space. We're uh, about to start a uh, week after next. We're starting a series on the Ramones, which I know everybody has fucking been very much waiting for. Thank the- you very much for listening. Theoretically, and I don't necessarily recommend it, but I also don't not recommend it. You can get all of your information just from our network Uh, and it it will make you a better person you will have a lot of information you might lose your family yeah but that's okay maybe 
Um, all right, everyone, hail yourselves! Hail Satan! Hail Gein, Mag- stay safe, stay inside, wash your hands. Magustalations! Wash your hands, bitch! <laughs> Every day, wash your hands! What was it? Was it a rapper that said, wash your hands, wash your butt? Remember yeah. that? Wash yeah. your hands, I wash your butt! So. He nailed it! Always a good, a good advice at any time in history. Yeah, of course! Goodbye, boy. Hail me! You fuck up! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.